Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with. What is up, weirdos? It's uh, it's me, Peter, uh, the host of, of this podcast. And uh, Chris Hardwick is the guest today, which I'm very, very excited about. Uh, we've been trying to get Chris in for a very long time and uh, finally, finally made that happen. So let's get this out of the way. Real quick, if you uh, want to come see me do an hour, an hour of stand-up comedy uh, and you live in or around Austin for my Comedy Central special, uh, we'll be taping it uh, in Austin, October 23rd, 7 and 9.30 p.m. The show is free. Here's how to get tickets. W www.theblacklistnyc.com slash Pete H. Okay? Like Perech. Perech. Like a ch. Okay? Blacklistnyc.com slash Pete H. Uh, come check that out. Please, got to get some weirdos there. People are already filling it up, which is awesome. Uh, you know, ideally, exclusively weirdos. That would be amazing. Uh, but that's going to be a great taping. I hope you can be there. We got some more shows coming up. I'm actually recording this from Toronto, uh, where the shows are going great. And if you're in town and hearing this the day it comes out, there is a live You Made It Weird tonight at midnight at Second City here in Toronto. Here are the shows coming up. After that, St. Louis. I'm going to be at the Firebird on October 3rd. Chicago. Oh, those shows are sold out. But I will be at the Lincoln Lodge, October 5th and 6th. Appleton, just reaffirming a purchase you already made, perhaps. Appleton, Wisconsin, Skyline Comedy Cafe. I'm going to be there October 11th through 13th. Minneapolis, I'm going to be at the Cedar Cultural Center on October 14th. Hollywood Improv, if you're here in Los Angeles, not here, but where I live in Los Angeles, uh, I'll be doing the 8 and the 10 o'clock show full hour sets on October 20th. If you want to see me uh, warm up the old set before we take the special on October 23rd, which I already mentioned, November 8th, this is new. We just added a live You Made It Weird at the Gramercy Theater in New York City. That's part of the New York Comedy Fest, so there'll probably be some great guests kicking around. Nashville, Tennessee, I'm going to be at the High Watt on November 16th, one night only. Atlanta, Georgia, I'm going to be at the Relapse Theater on November 17th. Boston, coming home to Boston, Paradise Rock Club, November 24th. San Francisco, I'm going to be at Cobbs with Kyle Kinane, November 29th through December 2nd. And on that Sunday, December 3rd, we're doing a live You Made It Weird in San Francisco, flying in some really fun people. That one, I guarantee, is going to be a, a hoot, dare I say, a hoot. Portland, Oregon, Helium Comedy Club, December 5th through 8th. Philadelphia, PA, Helium Comedy Club, December 12th through 15th. And New York, New York, coming back to the Gramercy on December 21st, the day the world is supposed to end, according to the Mayans, to do uh, some live stand-up comedy. So come watch the world burn with me. Joker style. Email the show weird at nerdist.com. Got Dom Herrera. Weird at nerdist.com. Also, this, uh, the uh, sponsor is Amazon. Uh, people have been uh, doing this a lot, which really helps out the show. All you got to do if you're going to buy something on Amazon, just go to nerdist.com first, go to this episode, click on the uh, Amazon banner in the description, then buy what you're going to buy anyway. It's awesome. Also, you can just donate to Katie directly at youmadeitweird.com or buy a t shirt. Katie needs help. She was changing a light bulb on, like, an antique lamp, and I don't know what it is about antique lamps, but the bulbs get real hot, real hot. So she thought it would be good, like, she got some Kleenex, and I thought she, that would, like, tamp down, but it actually, you know, flare, flashed up, like, magician flash paper. She's fine, but she's very traumatized, so we'd like to get her a Cold Stone Creamery gift certificate. So donate to Katie if you're nasty. Okay, here's the episode, guys. Thanks. Bye. Oh, for fuck's sake, Chris. Yeah, Pete. It's <laughs> pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Are you recording now, Katie? 
<laughs> this is crazy. It's already weird. I'm sorry I didn't. Thank you for getting me a coffee, but I can't drink coffee. So I apologize. Hi, Ken. Hi, You want a podcast? Bring me a coffee. It's good to have you on the show. Yes, um, <laughs> the vacant look on your face <laughs> makes it so much better. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. I can't drink coffee. Oh, <laughs> My guinea pig run loose in <laughs> the apartment. A loose guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> I let him off leash. They did that on uh, The Simpsons, one of my favorite Simpsons jokes, or most memorable Simpsons jokes. I liked it a lot, but I mean, it was more like, what? They say uh, the Italian guy has turned into a guinea pig, mm-hmm. and he says, we prefer Italian-American yeah. pig. Yeah. You remember yeah. that? And I was like, that was, a ha- that was a Halloween special when they did the Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really good lines in that. A lot of pain, gobble, gobble, dead. Where Frank turns, they turn him into a turkey. Yeah. Yes. And yep. I'm always interested in the uh, hunting for sport. Hunting man yeah. for sport. Yeah. That's a big one for me. They do that. Too. Oh, that was also the one where Flanders is like, all I need you to do is uh, squeeze my teats and harvest my milk. Like that was that was that one too. Uh, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> my, I think my favorite. It's it's a classic. It's a classic. But when uh, there, it's a, a Halloween special and Homer shoots zombie Flanders and he yeah. goes, "You shot zombie Flanders," and Homer goes, "He was a zombie." <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the, they they, they love that, they love doing that joke when when Bar- when Barney meets David Crosby. And he's like, David Crosby, you're one of my, you're my hero. And then David Crosby goes, oh, you like my music? You're a musician. <laughs> Fucking great joke. That's an excellent Barney, by the way. Oh, you're I, a voice match for Barney. I guess I can voice match Barney. <clears throat> Who knew that? There's I, also they never show. What were you gonna say? I can I can also voice match Kevin McDonald. I do it on our podcast. All Who's the Kevin time McDonald from Kids in the Hall? Oh, right. Yes, of course. Um, you want to do it a little. Well, Kevin McDonald's a little more in uh, this range right here. <laughs> hey, here's a hilarious comedy sketch we're doing about this. <laughs> about Citizen Kane. <laughs> That's excellent. Some of the many voices I like to do, I Pete. Do just People yes. hate it when I do voices. Is that true? They, a lot of them don't like it. You know, it's I, irritating. Is it? <laughs> sure. Then why do people listen to this show? I can't hear a voice and not want to try. I, it. I was the kid at the party <clears throat> in high school who would do voices and like. Sure. And well, and, we started. <laughs> just, I just want to. I just want some coffee. <laughs> and you get just it's a lot of breathing and swallowing. Just, it sounds like a door. It's so mouthy. The floor is warped a little bit, so the door touches the floor when it opens. <laughs> so it's like, like that's the, the sound. Or it's like whenever he doesn't understand something, it is like a door. And like, <laughs> could you repeat? I, I I just did uh, Jay Larson. We did an episode yesterday, and, and realized I had a decent Jay heart. La- Jay Larson. Jay Larson. Hey. I do Jay Larson. I hey, Joe. You don't know the uh, the invigoration of watching family. It's just it's just like that's way too much acid. He's like whispering. He doesn't want to wake you with his oh, act. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you put that soap up there. And oh, the there's always a bar of soap. <laughs> Why is there always one bar of soap? Listen to me. You know I'm right. It's a fucking bar of soap. Look at my eyes. I don't blink. Ah, he's not a big blinker. I never would have noticed that about him. He's always not a big blinker. Creeping around the stage. I don't need to cover my eyes. I'm looking right at you. <laughs> it's also my Mark Wahlberg, though. That's the same voice. Oh, hey, it's the trees. Somebody, yeah, 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 yeah. The trees have gone crazy. That's where I started. Me and Matt McCarthy, when we lived together, we saw the, what is that movie called? The Happening. The <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a real movie. That actually, it's a real movie. It's called The Happening. Yeah. Like, a, like there's a secret dance under the a ha- church. It, that, what, it's actually a meta movie, and The Happening <laughs> is the fact that that ever happened. Oh, like, my the, the, God. That would be brilliant. M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> I believe he's a 33-degree Mason. But I, every time I call someone out for being a Mason, I'm, people are like... <laughs> I'm so tired of calling you know? out for people <laughs> being a Mason. Well, Hardwick, have you been approached yet? You're a public I've, figure. I've, I've not been approached. What about the Scientologists? Are they after you? That, not <laughs> to my knowledge, no. So, yes. <laughs> They're on their Oh, way. shit, you're right. <laughs> I, I realized doing Jay Larson. I love that you added Jay Larson. Oh, yeah, Jay. Jay, <laughs> we used to do the O'Brien show over in uh, Santa Monica. Is that, what is that? There was this show, this Thursday night show that used to happen <laughs> on, off Main Street in Santa Monica that our friend Jamie Kaler ran. And, uh, Jamie Kayla. Jamie was a bartender there. Jamie will get you a spot. Jamie, yeah, come by. It's a Thursday <laughs> night. And I and, and I watched Jay. He was uh, in the in when we first started doing that show. He hadn't really figured out what his thing was yet. You okay. And then he went away for a little while, and he came back, and it, he was a solid storytelling comic. Yeah. yeah. Like, it just his act. It was one of the most visible changes that I had ever. That I was like, oh my god! Like he went from being like. Hey, he's, you know, he's all right, too. Like, oh, fuck. Like, you'd yeah. want to watch him. I'll do you one mildly better. Okay. Because everybody loves Hannibal. And we talk about it all the time. I talk about it with Hannibal. Hannibal was, like, a joke. Uh, not not a joke, but, like, we would make fun of Hannibal. Yeah. I've apologized to him for it because he was so bad. He was, like, really, <laughs> really bad. He was really young, and he was really new, and, like, he was kind of fumbling around. And I'll, I'll never forget the day Kumail uh, and I were on the phone. Uh-oh, here comes a Kumail Uh-oh. impression. <laughs> You can't do ah! a Kumail impression. You can't. Oh my God, Emily! <laughs> Hannibal is so good now. <laughs> and now we're breaking my Paula Tompkins impersonation. Ah! Well, what it was on Jay Larson was I realized I can do Harvey R. Bardem, which makes me think a lot of the impressions I can do, anyone can do. You know what I mean? I just go, life is short, life is painful, life is dull. <laughs> And then just one degree up to Larson. Yeah, it's very what similar. Is one degree up. You just have to talk like. Oh, Kumail. It's Kumail. It's not. It's oh, not. it's it's similar to Kumail. Yeah. Don't put it in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> well, that just sounds racist. <laughs> Don't put it in your pocket. No, the way you went. Don't put it in your pocket. Oh the, no, I'm not doing Kumail. I'm doing oh. Javier Bardem. Oh, okay. But if I had done this and I was like, I'm Kumail, then it would be then it's wrong. Racist, yeah. But I was thinking of a different race. Yeah. Don't. Then it's just. Then it would just be another coin. <laughs> I think this sounds right. <laughs> That's the nail gun. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then it sucks back in. I can do any nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that good. That's excellent. I can do any nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> the happening. That Did you see the happening? I did. Mm. I saw it in the theaters. Oh, no. The grass is blowing. Yeah. Here it comes. Oh, that was our first Wahlberg. That's what I was telling you. With, uh, Matt McCarthy was, uh, what about the bees, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's the bees. Jack, I'm the king of me. The bees don't. The bees tell me when I can take my cock out, Jack. I'm just mashing them up right now. 
I got a special purpose. A <laughs> boogie happening. And this bee stinging my dick makes it swollen and hot. <laughs> <laughs> that was the secret to his big dick. It was it kept getting stung, stung by bees. <laughs> they had to. Yep, that was the storyline they cut out because they found out it was. It's one of those. It's a really great idea when you're writing it, but to wrangle that many bees. <laughs> this is really boogie nights was right on the cusp of of CGI being prevalent, and so they took the whole. They replaced the bees with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Who is mostly bees? Yeah, little known fact. He's, he's assembled bees. bees, and so Burt Reynolds had to. Burt Reynolds had to sting. He had to sting Mark Wahlberg's cock at the beginning of every scene. Just so many times, even though his cock wasn't in all the scenes, like he just had to know that it was hard most oh, of the it's time. A, it's a real confidence yeah. boost. So then Burt Reynolds would be like, ha ha ha, and then he would back into it. <laughs> is that Burt Reynolds? That was that's a Burt Reynolds laugh. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> you heard it, it just here sounded first. like hawks. Hey, Burt Reynolds. His name starts with a B. I think you see how it works out. Because like, he's bees. Yeah, he's bees. <laughs> bees Reynolds. Bees Reynolds. <laughs> A man made of assembled bees. I don't know why that hasn't been done in like a Men in Black. Wait a minute. You know, he did make all that honey that one time on the set of Smokey and the Bandit 2. Which means he threw it up. Yeah. That's how bees make honey, I think. They throw up. He threw it up and they had to get... Okay, so Smokey and the Bandit was he had to get a truckload of honey from... <laughs> from uh, Nashville to Texarkana, Texas. <laughs> Sorry, I got so excited. I interrupted your riff to yell, Bees hate smoke. I think we'll agree it was worth it. it w- <laughs> Chris, let me stop you. Bees it. hate smoke. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> I I've saw, forgotten my riff. I saw two words that went together and yelled. <laughs> oh God. This this is the Sleepy Summer series, by the way. You're, Dom DeLuise was made of honey. Is it? <laughs> and Burt Reynolds was made that of bees. A, that That's believed. why they were friends. Burt Reynolds created Dom DeLuise with his bee vomit. Bee vom. Yeah, bee vom. Dot com was taken. You guys into bee vom? <laughs> fuck your shit, fuck you up. Aren't you glad you're not into something weird? Are you? What if you are? I don't think I am. I have a joke. Pretty... Uh, you know, you could be aroused by, I don't know, animals or yeah. fucking anything illegal. Sure. But you're not. No. Worked out well. It worked out pretty well. You like pretty ladies. I like, I like, and I like <laughs> smart ladies. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know your girlfriend well enough to know if she's smart or not. <laughs> I met her at a Doctor Who convention. So she's got to be, you know, at least inquisitive. Who? <laughs> what? What is this? Is there a Doctor Who? <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like smart, nerdy, pretty girls. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. You met her at a Doctor Who convention. What it, what what does that mean? Uh, well, there was a Doctor Who convention, and we were both at it, and then that's where we. That's where we <laughs> but what is a Doctor Who convention? I don't watch. It's Doctor like a Comic Con, but for but specifically Wait, for Doctor. So it's not like a subsect of Comic Con. It's no, only it's, it's for Doctor own, Who. Yeah, it's called Gallifrey One. It takes place in Los Angeles. I don't know the reference. Gallifrey. Gall- Gallifrey is the planet. That of the Time Lords, where the character of the Doctor came from. You know, I thought this whole nerd thing was just a shtick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just looking for an angle. No. You love Doctor Who. I love it. So does Kumail and Emily. They do. And they're in love. So and there you are. Yeah. You found a lovely lady at a they Doctor Who. They can't get could... enough of it. I just can't Doctor Who. I just love watching Kumail talk. Like The <laughs> fact that he's a brilliant joke writer yes. is icing on the cake for me. Ah, uh, You just want to see him go, I just, Hi, how's it going, you guys? He's just, he has such a great, I don't know, I just love his cadence yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like, uh, I mean, it's not, I'm not, 
It's just like the way the reason I like to watch Mitch Hedberg talk. It's right. like I love his cadence. And right, I right, right. Love Kumail's cadence. Did and you? It just it's it's fortunate that he happens to be an amazing joke writer. Yeah. It's like one of those times where the voice, like your performer's voice, literally is partially your voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? That helped. Did you go through a Hedberg phase? Everybody seems to go through a Hedberg phase. Yeah, I went through a Hedberg phase. I, um,. I saw him uh, the first time I ever saw him live was at uh, was at a Largo it was like one of the Monday Night oh, Largo really? shows, and he read uh, <laughs> he his whole bit was about how writers write things on spec. So uh-huh. He was like, "So I've written a spec menu," <laughs> and so he would he read a menu. He read he just fucking read a menu. It was like uh, braised short ribs with a avocado. Dressing. I'm not sure if I am using braise correctly in that context. <laughs> he, he wrote just, a spec menu. He wrote a spec menu, and he fucking read the menu. That is hilarious. Yeah, it's weird that you say like, see, you you and I both perform at Largo now, and and the fact that he performed. He's such a mythical guy to me. I saw him once. Uh, at Zany's in Chicago, so it yep. must have been like right before he got really huge. Where you talk down at people? Where you? Yes, exactly. There's he, a, yeah, the bar stage. He was in a shelf. Exactly. A yeah. di- little diorama raised above, yeah. like the downtown one we're talking yeah. about, right? Yeah. yeah. Good club. It, yeah. I've never played it. It's a good club. I've, I've done guest spots there. It's, uh, Mar- Martin is there. But you, but you definitely you are talking down at people, and the stage has that bar that people are just sitting like at the bar, like on that little counter. The first row is a counter? Yeah, yeah. People can sit actually on the stage has a counter. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, you, I, I, that was one of the first places I performed in Chicago, but I never became a regular there. I was always afraid of it. Really? It's like a scary. It's like it feels like real show business. You know, it's dark. It feels like someone was killed. Full of headshots. Oh God, the headshots are so. When you, Todd Berry had hair, there was, yeah. like, there was like the hair, the hair shot. Of Kumail Todd had a great tweet about that, where he was like, "You go through like when you're starting." You do these shittier clubs, and you get to see Todd with more hair. <laughs> and then you progress to better clubs, and you see him with less hair when he played there. You know what I mean? You get to Carnegie Hall, it's just a dead photo hey, of Todd man. Perry. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. You guys going to talk to those girls? <laughs> Should we talk to those girls, man? Hey, man. You going to go on a Nerdist? Is that a good one? I don't know, man. You just got to relax. I don't know. Bill Burr said the funniest thing that he sounds like a TV coming through a wall in the, in the, <laughs> in the room next to you. It sounds like there's like a TV on in the room. You're going to laugh. Hey, going to do a joke about tomatoes? It's a, it's a little bit of this guy. Yeah, there it is in there, definitely. It's really great. It's in there right there. Well, so anyway, the mythical time. So you saying that you just saw Hedberg casually. When I, oh, do you remember when you were starting comedy? And you had your heroes, right? Sure. And Hedberg was one of my heroes. And then one of my fears was that I would just like go to New York or L.A. or something and perform. And there'd just be this table in the back. And there's Hedberg and Seinfeld and Chris Rock. Like a, like a, a painting you'd buy in Times Square if comedy was more important. Right, right, right. Like, <laughs> like, the, like that, 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 that overused Boulevard of Broken Dreams yes, painting where ex- they're at the diner. <laughs> yes. The Nighthawks painting. Yeah, yeah. Into, mm-hmm. Or it's like – or it's all the <laughs> – Oh, there, actually, I had a horrible set at the Improv once, probably, mm, I don't know, must have been like 10 years ago, but um, Shandling and Greg Kinnear were in the back really? at the table. And I Two really, people that were considered for the Conan spot. Really had bad set. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, in fact, at that time, it, it might have been around that time. When was this? 2002-ish? So we're two, we're two. No, that's about right. When, when did Letterman leave Late Night? Do you know? Oh, Conan's been on for... Longer than that, yeah. Conan's wait, been wait. on. Conan was on for like fifteen. This would have been like nineteen ninety 
five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. We're way off. Um, but it was uh, yeah. So it was Shanling, a, Shanling, and uh, and Greg Kinnear in the. Do you remember if they could you see them? Yeah. I, I, well, the the improv, the Melrose improv is is. The, the, the room shallow. is shallow, shallow, so you room. can see right to the back of the room. Right, right, right. And, uh, yeah, they were back there. Somebody told me that Carson, mm-hmm. Johnny, Carson, comma, Johnny, used mm-hmm. to go to that improv and, and would sometimes get liquored up and heckle. Oh, God. Isn't that terrifying? Can oh, you, uh, fuck. <laughs> that's just, that's sort of like, that's sort that's of a like. a tr- nightmare. That's like, that's almost like Groundhog Day where it's, he's kind of a god and it's the only way he can amuse himself in this weird, right. repetitive existence that That's he has. Right. I think about that sometimes lashing out. The bigger you get in show business, what you have to do, what kind of perversions you have to engage in. Like I was telling you that it, you're, we're fortunate that we don't like something like shit porn or something. Right. But like similarly, we're probably fortunate that we can like feel things. How's your heart? Open heart? Are you feeling things? Right. Do Are you engaged? I'm asking you, actually. Am I engaged in, in what? Here's, here's a theory that I'm going to throw at you. <clears throat> All right. Performers, you and I, yeah. we're performers. And uh, we learn to deal with rejection a lot. Okay? Sure. That's, that's more than most people, I would say. I uh, 100% <clears throat> agree that in this business, and particularly, yeah. It just comes out more. Like, you're putting yourself out more. So what happens is I think you start to kind of protect your heart a little bit more. Your heart just sure. meaning your feelings, your sense, yeah. your being. Yeah. So you're, you're building up all this guard. And then what happens, this is why I think we have that thing where you become very successful, but then you're just kind of stoic and depressed, a billionaire, but just like you don't feel anything because you, the reason you got to where you got is because you learned to not feel as much because you didn't want to feel as much of the pain, but now you don't feel as much of the pleasure. Well, I agree, I agree with that. I think I'm pretty protective of my feelings and, and private in that way. Yeah. Um, but I also think that the sad, lonely billionaire is also, you know, they had the, people like that, or maybe even people like us, have this idea that, oh, if I just achieve this thing, that's going to solve all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> you know, you violently pursue this thing, and it drives you, and it drives you. And then some people achieve it, and there's just, it's sort of like, I think it's that sort of, you know, with Alexander... The great wept because there were no lands left to conquer. Like the whole the hunger <laughs> thing is gone. Yeah, and you might have a billion dollars, but you're still just left with like you're the same guy. But there's no there's nothing driving you anymore. Yeah, and there's nothing else that can surprise you anymore. Yeah. And so I think that's I think it's sort of like you know a lot of the desperation is is the passion that drives you to pursue things. Yes. And then if you achieve all those things, you either have to figure out well what what else can I do. Or what else can I contribute? And if you don't, then it's just like, you know, I, I think I think I think disappointment and depression, you know, not chemical depre- like sure, not sure, clinical sure. depression, <clears throat> but circumstance. But, but I think a lot of a lot of depression and disappointment is excitement without an outlet. Hmm. <clears throat> that it's just like <clears throat> this excitement rises in you and it doesn't have any way to get expressed, and then so it just frrr, it just deflates and floats back down that's into your great. gut. So that's great. Yeah, what, that's what I think. You kind of you kind of like want it. They, uh, this came up on the show a, a long time ago. The idea that people that make things, any anything, anything like if you make if you make chairs and shit, yeah. there's something therapeutic about that because that that becomes your outlet, a purpose. Right. What when I hear when you talk about Alexander the Great weeping because there's no lands left to conquer, is that like once you've conquered all the lands, are you left with a harsh feeling that life is kind of meaningless? <laughs> Maybe, or it's just it's it's just that acquiring those things didn't mean exactly what you thought. That it was more about the pursuit and the process than the actual acquisition. And then once you have the thing, it's right. like having a thing is like that moment goes pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and then you then you still have the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, and you still have to figure out what to do. You yeah. Know? 
You know, it's funny. I, I was just talking to Matt Bronger, and he was telling me that Bruce Springsteen gave somebody some advice. I don't remember who the somebody was, but he was like, I'm in show business. What can you tell me? And he was like, mark the occasions. He was like, if you, if you sell a show, if you get uh, a special, go eat an ice cream sundae. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it'll burn up quickly. The feeling might burn up. But you'll always remember. Like, remember that night we went to, you know, fucking yeah. friendlies and ate that sundae? That was a good moment. Like, we should take moments and, and pause. You've been doing that a lot. You, you, you've been on television since you were 13? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, since I was 13. <laughs> can I start? Can I, yeah, I feel like we didn't really get a, a nice start. I'm so thrilled that you're doing the show. For oh, more. thanks. It's good to be on. Up top. We've been trying to get it to happen for a long time. And... I'm a, a very strange fan of yours in the sense that I was a big Shipmates fan, and we've talked about this. You know, it's funny. I get weird, like, people, that's a show for some reason that just stuck out. Like, we're, yeah. we're doing some stuff. I met um, I met, the, I met Bobek uh, Ferdowski, who's the Mohawk guy from NASA, uh-huh. uh, who's the, who works at JPL. He's a flight director for, for the Mars Curiosity rover, and uh, we're going to do some something fun with him, and... He was like, I got to tell you, I really loved Shipmates. And I'm like, really? What? Yes. It's just one of those weird shows that. It was you and us. It was you that you like, you really hosted the shit out of that show. Like, it felt like your show, even though you're not in no. 70% of the show. I turned that show down like six times, and which was crazy because I wasn't working at the time. This was still when I was. Uh, in the phase that I call Peter Hardwick, my fat drunk brother. Uh, <laughs> there's still pictures of him online. I'm sorry, that means you, alcohol. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah, yeah. That's so funny, Katie. We just, we talk. About, I call him Drunk Pete. Like I compartmentalize people too. Oh, right, right. Like, I'll be like, Oh, Drunk Pete loves picking people up. Well, someone on hey, someone Pete, on, you love people picking people up. Yeah, like, physically. I well, mean. Some, someone on Wikipedia. I had this. There was a back and forth on Wikipedia for a long time where someone would put fake facts about my life in there that were just patently untrue. Yeah. And for the longest time, I had a brother, Peter Hardwick, and every time it would get removed, he would, ha- he would pop up in a different occupation. <laughs> he was a football player for a while, and then a comedian, and then a... Wait, he's, he doesn't exist? No, 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 no. Okay. And so, so that for me, it just became shorthand for like, oh, I just started calling my old fat drunk self Peter Hardwick. Like, I made that the brother. <laughs> like, I, I, I sort of reverse engineered that the brother. And so, so yeah, so shipmate, That's great. Shipmates was during Peter Hardwick's reign. And, uh, it reminds me of. Did you read the Steve Jobs book? The th- the four books I've read come up on this show like every episode. Did you read it by any chance? I I, I bought the audio version of, I, of it, and I still haven't listened to it. yet. I only have it on audio too. I but I go ahead and call that reading, really, because it's weird to be like a man read it to me, <laughs> <laughs> but a man did read it to me in my car. Uh, <laughs> but he had this thing, you know. He's he, and you're very successful. And, uh, yep, just like Steve Jobs. We're, exactly the same. <laughs> we're right I mean, there. I mean, you, you know what I mean. You're doing what you're doing. Like, you're succeeding at what you're doing, and you've sure. been doing that for a while, sure. even when you were drunk Peter, Peter Hardwick. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you, you have some uh, – you have a businessy brain, and so does Steve Jobs. And, Steve, of course, did Steve Jobs, unless we have his brain somewhere. Did they, did they <laughs> freeze his brain? They must have. They must have, right? Must be. His brain must be somewhere. You don't just bury a Steve Jobs brain. Although, I think he was – Buddhist, maybe. Yeah, he was definitely into that stuff. So See, I, I should know this if I finish the book. So I don't book. know. <laughs> I, I can't you be bothered. just came shy of that chapter. I don't like finishing books. It's a weird thing. Oh, that's funny. Like, that's a, a quirky trait about me. Like, all my... How far all, do you get? Yeah, like, I'll read... Even if it's, like, my favorite book in the world, I won't read the last chapter. It's like I'm a psycho. It, like, I don't even say that to be interesting or weird. I can't decide... I, I don't remember deciding to do it. Do you not want it to end? I don't know. Maybe... 
Maybe. I don't know. It, like, if, if I was in a movie, that would be what it is. Like, Pete Holmes is afraid of things ending. Because I put off the last uh, episode of Deadwood for, like, a year. Oh, really? Because I knew it didn't end in a satisfying way. Oh, really? It's one of those bad ending shows. No, it's not a bad, bad ending show. They thought the show was coming back. And then oh. it got canceled oh. while they were on hiatus. And so it just doesn't resolve in any way. It's Too just, like, it sets up like they're coming back. Yeah. And then it's just gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the compartmentalized thing, I'm going yes. to forget this, is that uh, Steve Jobs like would think of things abstractly to, to compartmentalize his brain so he wouldn't – so he could be like singularly focused. Okay. So like the way that you kind of fantasize about like drunk, drunk Chris was Peter, Chris, my brother, feels similar to the way that uh, Steve would just convince himself that – this is much more extreme – that he didn't knock up his girlfriend. Right. He would just be like, no, I didn't. Even though he did. He right. was there when he came and her. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was and there. He, and he was there. He just like, even though there was no reasonable argument that he wasn't the father, he was just like, I'm not the father. And then made like the Mac. You know what I mean? <laughs> like didn't, didn't have time to think about it. So had that, the that type is, of That brain. is a really, that is, a, that is the most productive deadbeat dad. Right? And he named the fucking computer the Lisa, which was, I think was his daughter's name, the daughter that he said so, was Okay, so when he came in a robot, yeah. <laughs> and, then he's like, and that, that robot not... gave birth to and the Lisa. And you know what? The Lisa was a letdown, so he was like, uh, I didn't make the Lisa <laughs> I didn't either. make the Lisa. I made the Macintosh. That's my favorite daughter. Yeah. Yeah, really awkward. We borrowed some of uh, Xerox's uh, UI. and uh... <laughs> Oh, my God. Isn't it funny that they copied it from a copy company? I think but that's I... really funny. <laughs> but I think with Xerox's permission. No, like, not really. I, my understanding was that it was just a time before people really understood intellectual property and, yes. and, and, and patenting things. That's and, true. And For, so they were just like, oh, sure, fine, whatever. Well, they what Xerox had was the desktop interface with, like, icons and stuff. Right. It was bad. You know what I mean? It was done badly. But Steve Jobs definitely was like, oh, that's what it should be, and then did that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there are people that would, would argue both sides well, of if that. Well, I mean, if you, look at, if you look at Apple with the exception – I mean, no, actually, pretty much across the board that – and I guess because this was Steve's MO, but it certainly as a company, they would look for something that already existed and figure out how to yep. make it better, shiny, better. And that's all we ever do, which is funny because no one can do that to Apple. I know we've, now we've gone into an area we've that gone you into and an area, I both yeah, but, like. But, but you, know, you look at you know, <laughs> CG animation. You know, He got Pixar. Like, he didn't right. invent it. Right. Smartphones. He didn't invent those. MP3 players. He didn't invent that. Right. You know, computing. He didn't invent that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just. It was just sort of like taking that kind of design aesthetic and figuring out how yeah. to. How's it, how can we make it look like? Because it was made I in love. Sweden. You know, people. People think that a lot of people, and I get shit a lot of times, thinking that I'm an Apple fanboy, like where I just can't even tolerate the idea of anyone else and that and any other technology. And it's just not true. Like I've been playing with the <coughs> Nexus that with with the with the, the Nexus Seven, and it's fucking great. What what is that? It's a tablet. It's a it's a Google uh-huh. tablet. Oh, I okay, and, yep. uh, and I think it's a really it's it, I, and I like it. I think it does some things better than the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just happen to appreciate their design aesthetic with Apple. And and what happens with you know PC is such a an engineer based UI like the PC platform user interface user interface yeah that you know <laughs> that what makes sense to engineers. Uh huh doesn't necessarily, you know, is like clunky to most people. They're like, oh, well, you just navigate to this menu and then here's a drop down and then it's down here and it's just, it's just three submenus. What's the problem? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Yeah, well, if you're an engineer, you understand that hierarchy, that right. hierarchical structure. Yes. A uh, hierarchical structure of a file tree, but you have to you, know, you have to know that most people, Don't. I mean, if if it weren't for Apple, you know, mo- it just we wouldn't 
the, 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 I don't think computing would have bled as much into pop culture as it has. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you have devices that kids want to use and, and like, you don't, it's not just for nerds. Right. Everybody. Yeah. I, I see more toddlers with iPads than I do grown so people. So that, that, that's all. I mean, you know, obviously everything Apple did wasn't amazing. Right. You know, um, but a lot of stuff they did really did revolutionize the way we interface with technology. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and they stole it from Xerox. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, they stole it from Xerox. Uh, well, let's get back to life being meaningless. <laughs> oh, wait, we were, we were talking Where about, were we? We were talking about shipmates, and I was just oh, saying yeah, that shipmates, I, turned, I turned that show down six times, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't working at the time. Answers. That's why yes. I, said, I said Peter Hardwick. I was, it was, I was fat drunk. Uh, so you weren't working because you were you were. I just didn't have any. You know, there was this sort of thing where at at MTV in the '90s, if you worked at MTV, there was a good chance you wouldn't really be able to get a job anywhere else because there wasn't as much platform crossover, and people just looked at at, as like you know, kind of the way people look at the internet now. It's like, oh, low end, you know, MTV. It's a cable channel, right? It's a very specific kind of cable channel. Those people can't go on and do anything else. That's interesting. What a Um, fun comparison. Some of them did. I mean, um, Dan Cortez. You know, Pauly Shore was kind of the first big breakout Mm -hmm. who was able to cross platforms, and mm-hmm. Dan Cortez did stuff, and then Jenny McCarthy did stuff, and but there, but for most people, there was this kind of like weird curse, and um, and I and I fell under that, and so I wasn't really working at the time, and I was just drinking all the time, but not, I didn't, wasn't making the connection, like, oh, it's probably because of actions that I am taking. And not some sort of business conspiracy against me. Oh, you thought at the time that there was a showbiz conspiracy. Sure. The, the, I mean, not a super organized one, but, but just, just a general kind the of MTV a, kibosh. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, what kind of what kind of a drunk were you? I, I'm, there are different kinds of alcoholics we know. I was a pleasant drunk. Um, I was not a violent social drunk, though. Very social. Yeah. Yeah. I used to drink all the time for any reason. <laughs> I would drink when I was upset. I would drink if I was celebrating something. You yeah. Know, I just I just drank every day. Like it was just part of my routine. Yeah. And, but uh, not like a big day drinker or a lone drinker. Or any n- of that near stuff. the end, I, I, I became more of that. It, Actually, everything it, it changed pretty substantially after September 11th. And I know people, I know people like to use that as their go-to bum out day. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> pick a better day. Man. It's a pretty hacky That's choice. A, uh, um, grief hack. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> grief hack. You sad about your, the Holocaust? Grief too? is pretty hacky. Yeah. Next. <laughs> Going to the uh, museum in DC. Uh, Heard it. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so nine eleven. So I, I was, you know, I, I've told I've told this story before on the podcast. But I, I was I was on a plane that day at JFK yeah, uh, on nine eleven on nine eleven. Holy on an American Airlines flight back to LA Shit. because I was doing shipmates. Yeah, and my original deal was I was supposed to fly back and forth every other week to tape wraparounds for the segments. And so I was on a, this American Airlines flight, and the pilot came out. We were late leaving, and it was eight, you know, eight forty-five, nine o'clock in the morning, and we were supposed to leave, and we hadn't left. And the pilot came out, and he was crying, and it was very odd. Uh, there, I was up in the first class area because you know, because that's how that's how television yeah. works, and that's where the drinks are free. That's I'm not the, even. Are you liquored up? I'm actually wondering. I was drinking, drinking at that point, at that yeah, because uh, I, I didn't I didn't love flying, and so I would go into the yeah. la- to the first class lounge and have drinks. T- yep, keep going. And so even even though it was like eight o'clock in the morning, I didn't care. And um, as a matter of fact, I think I, I think they didn't start serving drinks till late in the morning. So I think I got a couple in before the flight to calm me down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and by the way, since then, I actually like flying a lot. 
Interesting. With, with no substance, which is odd. I never thought that would happen. But um, wait, what, what do we? I, I don't want to talk about the, the most left. important. Yeah. So story. he comes out and he kind of he <laughs> I says, know why you he like says, flying he now. says, I'll tell you. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. I'll remember. So he says, you know, uh, two planes have co- have hit the World Trade Center, and you know, and but I don't think anyone really understood that they were commercial planes. It's it sort of. I think we were just like, oh, so two small like right, what like sky riding <clears throat> planes or right, whatever, right. And so everyone kind of turned around in the plane and looked out the window, and you could see the smoke coming off the towers. And then uh, just like, and then people started getting off the plane. People scream, no screaming, because people at that point weren't really. Uh, I remember this. Yeah, it was very bizarre. I think people were kind of confused and processing what was going on. So as they got us off the plane, we're all like, kind of walking from the terminal, and everyone's just walking faster and faster. And as people are passing by, you know, you're hearing just sound bites more and more of like another plane hit DC another plane hit this and then it starts to become apparent like oh shit this was a thing this was mm-hmm. a real thing that happened and then the airport's shutting down and everyone goes down to get their luggage and the luggage just dumped into a pile and you're sifting through and all the shuttles were full and you didn't I, mean, I just hopped on a random airport a hotel shuttle mm-hmm. that had no vacancies <laughs> oh my god but so it was just like and then I got to that hotel and then there was a bar in the hotel and there was a People are watching the news report. Like, so then at that point, it's out. Like, yeah. it's broken. The right. story's broken. It's out. And so I was, I was supposed to do this show in New York to do Shipmates. And I, uh, I was so freaked out about traveling that I just stayed in New York. I just I subletted my apartment with furniture and everything. I had someone go into my apartment, mail me a bunch of clothes, just like throw whatever you can in a box. I'm All staying. your L.A. stuff. Yep. Oh, my God. Just mail it to me. And so I spent the first two weeks, because you couldn't get back into the city right away in Long Island, uh, in this city called um, Garden City. I was in Garden City. A city called Garden City. (laughs) And so I spent two weeks there. Mm -hmm. um, And so I I was isolated and alone and freaked out and scared. And I was already kind of drinking a lot before. But then that's where it was like 2001 to 2003 when I actually quit was fucking it was on well i wonder if, if morning if, drinking yeah like just drinking all the time yeah you you were drinking when all that trauma happened to you i wonder if there's like a psychological link there was no i, I mean at the time it was the only it was the only tool i had to deal with what i was feeling like it's the end of the world i'm trapped in a place away from home alone mm. I don't really know anyone here. Like, you know, it was it was really <laughs> and then it just got worse and worse where it was like, you know, every day someone said that, you know, well, they're 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 gonna attack the water system or the subways are gonna blow up and I remember that. We were shooting at the CBS we were shooting uh shipmates at the CBS building and then someone sent anthrax to the CBS building. So just at every turn it seemed like, you know, it was just like Temple of Doom and there are giant insects and snakes everywhere. Right. And so for me, the only way that I got <laughs> that I the only tools that I mean, it'd be much it'd be different now, I think. I'd like to think. But at the time, drinking was my mechanism and so it just went into like f- like full steam ahead. This right. this train is not stopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz it's a reliable I mean, it's it's obviously a negative and bad thing it's in a, your life, you know, but it was reliable to th- numb yourself things or whatever. Like, things like drinking and food are are very much, um, you know, particularly for people who have addictive personalities and who crave control, 
Um, you can you you have control over what you put into your body. That's the one thing you really have control over. Yeah. So when you feel like the rest of your life has no control, well, I can control my feelings because I know what alcohol does, or I can control how I'm going to feel if I eat all this food mm-hmm. because I am in control of that. So there's this weird subconscious control issue with mm-hmm. that with that stuff. And so I was way 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 were you way you gone. were you were getting beefy at this. Point two. Yes, yes. I don't remember there being a shipmate's beefy period. It was the second season it started. Like I could see it. You know, I could really see it. And I, you know, and I never exercised before. And yeah, you know, so it was just, I was just a, it was just a mess. But shipmates. So you're not. You're also not working, right? I mean, you're doing shipmates, but then you stop doing shipmates. So you were kind of like in a vortex of nothingness. Like all you did, all you really needed to do was drink and eat. Yeah, I mean, shipmates. I, I you know, I, I made a lot of money on shipmates it, just because it was a syndicated show, and so yeah. the residuals are crazy, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so it was really it was really a good job uh, for that way. But I turned it down six times because I did not like Blind Date, mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to do. I didn't want to. What was be that guy's name? Roger Lodge. Roger Lodge. <laughs> you without blinking or thinking about Roger Lodge. Well, I remember all the. Of course, everyone. Did, Aisha did a did a Fifth uh-huh, Wheel. Like that's there were right. like there were like five reality dating shows. That that was, yeah. that was the TV. That was, syndicated reality television. Yeah. Syndicated reality dating shows were the trend in the early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Blind Date really kind of pioneered that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think he made a fuck ton of money on that because I think he actually owned a piece of the show. Oh, really? And it was syndicated. So, I mean, he, he must have, he made millions of dollars on that show Holy from what fuck. I understand. Uh, allegedly. I don't Therapist know Joe says. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I kept turning that job down and they, ca- oh, and because at the time they were up to, um, uh, Kimmel le- had left Ben Stein's money. Uh-huh. And I was up for that job. Uh-huh. Like I was, I tested with Ben. To take over when Ben Stein's money, and that was the job I really wanted because yes. it was just a cooler job. Yeah, and but you know I didn't. You would have been great on that. I, I know it's it would have been fun. Stupid to say that now, but I could see you. I, I would have believed you if you were like, and I did it. So <laughs> they they never offered me the job. It was still like up in the air, but it was going to take a while to find out. So here comes sh- here comes Sony and Shipmates. The show is sold uh, for you know. 100 and, 130 episodes, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like six months of daily programming. Mm-hmm. And so it's already sold. It's going to go on the air. They kept, they kept offering me more and more money, and I kept going, no, I don't want to be the blind. I don't want to be, I don't want to be on like blind day, and I want to do this cooler show. And then finally got to a certain point where I was like, I was, I was in Memphis staying with my dad for a couple of weeks, and I was like, Wait, why am I not taking this? And so, because it was, it just the money got really good, and it was, and the job was certain. Yeah, and and not not funny. That's what I told you about well, shipmates. I was like, it was actually funny. I took the job because I said to them, "Look, if I take this, you have to let me say whatever I want." Seriously, yeah. Productions always tell you they want you to do that, and then when you get on them, they actually don't. Right, and so. That's just a way that they lure but that's, people that's, in. That was my first. Uh, ex- I, so I used to. It was like on during the day. I feel it's like syndicated. Yeah. So every, it was different every market. And I, well, in Boston, as a kid, I was watching it during the day. Like, oh, I feel like over summer vacation, nothing to do. Right. And I just watched marathons of Shipmates and Blind Dates both. And I was like, this is what it's going to be like to, to their, be a grown up. To their credit, oh god, I hope not. <laughs> to their credit. They really did let me say they did pretty much anything. Well, that's what that's. I think one of the first times I talked to you is I was like, I remember being pretty young watching. I feel like it was on when was it on before two thousand one and two thousand two. That's when it started. Yeah, because we that can't be. It was because we started we started shooting like the second week of shooting is when nine eleven happened. I remember it very clearly because I was supposed to go back and forth. I I can't 
I then here's what's happening. No one knows better than you when Shipmates was on. Yeah, but what's happening? I have is- a little bit of an, a cultural anchor with <laughs> September 11th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have been corresponding with nine. I, 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 I've just fabricated a memory of being like in high school watching it. It's not possible. I was in high school in like 90, 1995 watching. Yeah, it then no, then you were you were probably watching Singled Out in high school. Yeah, but I okay. So then I'm watching Shipmates. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm like kind of. Or you're a time jumper. <laughs> I'm also a time jumper. There was a magical television in my magical basement. Television could, could watch future television programs. And then I said to you, I said, uh, Shipmates. Actually, like I could tell that you were much funnier than the show. Oh, like I was like, you know, you know what I mean? Like you like transcended. Uh, what a dramatic way to say, but it's true. That's the word. You transcended kind of a, you know typical format like you said there were like five of these shows and then you were being like sarcastic you were saying a lot of things that i i you know didn't have enough savvy at the time to know i was like i bet they didn't write that like he's just (laughs) saying that they it it was it was it was it was it was mixed and so we would basically there was a there was a there were a team of really really great writers really genuinely funny dudes Mm. um this guy named tom bell another guy named dave king uh another guy named bob um uh, Bob Kirsch. Oh fuck! I apologize, and I can't remember his last name. And this other comic named Tammy Vernikoff, and so it was a really good group of writers. And so, you know, they would they would kind of write a skeleton host script, mm-hmm. and then you know, like the day before we would shoot, I would go and watch clips, and then go through, and then kind of put my the way i would say things and sure. then throw in harry potter references and <laughs> and um and but then harry and, potter wasn't out for another decade <laughs> <laughs> it was it, no it was out. I, I was it was the third book was out at that point you don't know how traumatic this interview is for me because i'm like i thought shit made just a 92 keep no, going, no, no. no keep going and so um uh and so good writers skeleton good writers script. and then yeah and then we would and then you know, when we when we would go shoot, then you know we'd kind of riff and fuck around and throw some stuff in, and right. know, they would use it. So it was, it was like it was it was like half, you know, like a, like a chunk of it was was riff, yeah. and then another chunk was like me riffing in a bar, right? Uh, you know, drinking. Were you ever writing. drinking on the show? No, kind of like Magnolia. No, 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 no. I, I like I I had this weird sort of like code of honor, like I will not drink when I have to work. Yeah. Like literally the second we were done. Of course, the weird thing is I would be hungover. Right. Did you, um, ever find, did you ever find that when you were hungover, you were funnier? I sometimes find that I'm really funny hungover because you need something. We were talking about like hunger and drive and, and you know, not wa- conquering all the lands. Well, when you're hungover, you have something to fight against. Or you just don't have a filter when you're hungover because you just don't have the energy to, That's right. to block. You're like shit just comes out. Yeah. So it's just sort of unfiltered yeah, yeah, yeah. thought. What are your thoughts on on, on comedians these days? I, I was just I just did a club and uh, and I was sitting backstage and and uh, it doesn't matter which club. This was actually a little while ago. And I was watching these guys go on like newer guys and they were all going up like stoned and shit house. And I was like, you guys are like new. <laughs> what think, are you doing? I think that's dumb because then what what it what it built like even if it goes well for people, what it kind of builds in their mind is. I need this to do well. Right. And it, it just it creates an unnecessary association. I mean, you know, I will say that the first few years I was really pursuing comedy, which, you know, I I toyed with comedy in college in the early 90s, but it wasn't until 98 that I, you know, like after Singled Out, you know, where I, I was like, okay, I really need – a lot of things that I do in my career are reactions to me going, I don't have enough control over the business, so I'm going to just do a thing where I feel like I have control yeah, over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I was always a huge, you know, I always wanted to do stand up my whole life. I was just afraid of it. But I, when I started in 98, I would drink pretty, I would get pretty buzzed before I would go on stage to like crush my nerves down, uh-huh. which I don't recommend because then when I quit drinking, you know, there was this horrible anxiety of like, what if that was the thing? Right. I, I worry. I worry about that with everything. Uh, I had a mole removed once. I had to have a mole removed. You get superstitious you about looking, the mole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, going to throw the balance of your body off in a microscopic way. That is, I mean, this is that's not something that I would worry about today if I had a mole removed today. Well, you should but, have because, I, pre, pre, yeah, pre removal. Those jokes really were just more robust or something. So much I don't better. Yeah, I don't know. I literally remember saying to my, my ex-wife, I was like, what if the mole is what's making me funny? <laughs> the mole! It was a mole! And I was like, what if that's the part of me where the juice is kept? You know, like the real talent is in the mole. It's hard, you know. It's, it's, we, are, we are superstitious. We're a superstitious species. A pattern-seeking superstitious. Very much pattern-seeking. Yes. I mean, how many religions got started because a guy was OCD and everyone else was like, oh, I guess that's what we have to do to make sure we get crops this year. Is that what you, like, you think because of the rituals we're starting? Because yeah. if you meet an OCD, that's a very interesting thought. I've I, think, I, I, I think a lot of, I think, you know, I, not obviously all religions, but I think a lot of religions were OCD in origin because because you know when you think about when you think about the when you think about the basic functionality of OCD, it's people think people thinking they have to do unrelated things to control yes. things that they can't control. Mythical. And things. so when you you know when you look at all of the sort of religious you know like well you know we have to pray this way so that the rains come or we mm-hmm. have to do this. It's OCD. Like it's it is fucking obsessive compulsive disorder. That's hilarious. Is that a bit? Well, it, you should do that as a bit. It's not going to do well as a bit it, because yeah, you're right. because <laughs> then not? people. I you know I never talk. I try not to talk about religion or politics on stage. Yeah, because it just there's you know there there's some things that the second people hear a certain buzzword they're not listening to anything else mm. they're just like wait a minute what do you and you're like no 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 i'm actually saying the opposite of what you think i'm saying right 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 you just you know your scruff just got what got up because right. you thought i was taking yeah. a shot at you it's tricky i i definitely would have when i was religious would have felt i would have been deeply offended by you saying religion is an extension of a uh, uh, disorder I, I just think that the origins of a lot of religions yeah. are the, because it's it's the idea of ritual yeah, creating results. Well, uh, Sean Patton, uh, when he did a live show, we talked about he used to kiss a sandwich every time he made a sandwich, and I was like, "Oh, to like bless the sandwich that like that would make sense." I yeah. was like, "Oh, to bless the sandwich." He was like, "No, so my sister won't die in a plane crash." Right, and I, and that that is religion. Because, yeah. that, that, that or that that seems like a prayer. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, people people get patterns and people develop weird rituals and right. and, and and habits to try to control Do, things. So for drinking and stand up, that was kind of one. I remember a can of Coke. I think I've said this on the show before. I had a can of Coke once before I did a college, and I got a standing ovation. And I was like, fuck. I'm going to have to get a lot of cans of Coke. It had to be a can. You know what I mean? And I yeah. have to fight that. And luckily, I'm not that controlling that I had to do. Like, I maybe tried it one or one or two more times. Yeah. I was like, I got to not do that. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that there's something in my brain that, like, I woke up this morning at like seven for no reason and was just incredibly anxious. And I was like, oh, I should take uh, a Xanax. I have Xanax when I fly yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes I take it. And I was like, but then there's something in my brain that goes, no, you shouldn't because what are you going to just take Xanax every time you're anxious? Just like ride it out, yeah. maybe. And then, so I just wrote it out. I'm glad I have that voice it's in important, my brain. It's important to do that because, because especially if you're sensitive or prone to that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you can so easily get swept up in a, in a, in a weird pattern that it's really important sometimes to, to – what was important for me anyway – 
to try to violate those whenever I'm aware of them. Yeah. Just to prove, like, okay, you don't need this. Like, you, That's exactly You constantly right. have to break them. Yeah. Because your brain, particularly our kinds of brains, um, just they, they crave that kind of yeah. control stuff. Well, it makes life feel purposeful. It makes life feel manageable. It right. kind of goes back to it's, – it's a wonder that you're not more that way because it seems I'm, – I'm picking up something. I'm picking up something right now. Somebody passed in oh, your life. Oh, uh, to start with an M? It's an M? It's an M. M. Mario. Did you know Mario? Uh, wait, he sang. No. He sang. Oh, I'm getting this. It's a me, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Something with a green dinosaur <laughs> eating eggs. Eggs, princess. Is yeah. there a princess involved? Mm, it's in another castle. I'm uh, sorry. I don't know. Oh, shoot. Yeah, toad, there was a, toad. Yeah, toad. Was he a. Was it, I, I don't know. He was a construction worker or a plumber <laughs> or a. Um, is there a plumber involved? Very little plumbing in the game with the uh, plumbers. Oh, I'm sensing angry plants. <laughs> I just think I just put together Mario as a plumber, and that's conveniently he's in this world with all these pipes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, presumably they were like, the princess has been taken. I had a bit that I thought was going to kill, especially with the nerds, and it died every single time. Yeah. The, basis, the basic premise of the bit was that Mario's the worst plumber. Because, that's funny. Because he's basically just chasing this dick around. Who to, and to f- try to find the most kidnappable princess in the universe, <laughs> and I could never. I'm like, this will kill. I think, but, and never. It was the awful, awful. I, I think it's Melania that had a bit, which was, uh, is Bowser fucking her? <laughs> it was so funny. I think Jerry Orbach's eye. <laughs> Here's what that. I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna push him. I'm gonna push him. Excuse me. I am homeless. I have AIDS. No, no, no. Too obvious. <laughs> I fucking love Milady. I love Milady too. He's the best. Um. So anyway, control so is what I'm talking control, about. Talking yeah. about pattern recognition and stuff. By the way, the guy channeling video game yeah, characters yeah. is very funny. <laughs> Thank you. Like, well, yeah. Well, let's, let's let's make a nerdist.com video. That actually goes to what I'm about to say. You strike me as a fella who does not care for this show business stuff, uh, dicking us, dicking us, or like being in control of us. No, I don't. I hate it. You're a guy who wants to circumvent that and go around and be like, "Fuck you." I'll you. We're sitting in your theater in yeah. your booth. You did it. Like, and I, you know, to a certain extent, I've done that. I hate watching. I'm going to put this to you in a, in a moment. I, I talk a lot on my own podcast, and I apologize. But I, oh. I watch a lot of these show business documentaries about people, about actors specifically. It breaks my heart that come to L.A. And they might be the most talented in the world. They might be gorgeous, and they might be just so good instincts. and that, But they won't make it necessarily because they have no way to carve out their own thing. It's very hard. I don't know how people just... Even when I wasn't working, I always had stand-up. So that at least, even if I wasn't getting paid to do stand-up, it made me feel like I was in, like creating something, right. or building a skill. Important. And, and doing something that I loved, that I always wanted to do. And I just felt like it was a good long-term sort of a thing. I don't know how people just come here and just want to act and then go to acting classes and then yeah. just audition. And then that's it. And their entire... Their entire fate rests on if they just happen to look right for a part. I mean, if they happen to be good. You, you've cast things, though. You've cast vi- videos and stuff, and you're just like, this guy's wrong. Like, you just know immediately. Some right. Some t- tremendously talented guy just 
looks too weird. His hair's weird. And Fucking they, and beat they, it. And they have to fit with the rest of the cast, and the yeah. energy has to fit. That your and height has to be right. He's too tall. And you, know you, I mean? and you think that you can engineer all that stuff, and you really can't. A lot mm-hmm. of it has nothing to do with you. Right. There's a really great um, – a friend of mine who's an actor uh, named Jack Plotnick – has a really great website. Um, I think it might just be jackplotnick.com, but he has masterfully broken down this whole thing for audition process. And I mean, it's you can use it in other areas, but you know, he just he has this idea that there's this vulture that kind of sits on your shoulder and says things to you, and it's it's the it's the stuff that it's you basically getting in your own way. Yeah. And so he kind of helps actors get out of their own way so they can go in and audition and not put all that other shit on top of it that yeah. fucks you up. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's. All, I don't know how, and everything I've, everything I've tried to do was sort of. Uh, well, I'm just going to do this myself, and you can't tell me. And, yeah. Like it's a very spoiled only child kind. Are of Are you an a, only child? Yeah, and, and you know, but I'm not an only child. There, there's like an urgency. There, there's a anxiety. Maybe is what it is for me. Is that like I just. Okay, you go out for an audition. We're talking about these vultures and the stuff in your way. You go out for an audition, and at some part, sometimes I see people's Facebook statuses, and they're like, I got called back for this thing. Fingers crossed. I'm like, yeah. It breaks my heart to think that, like, they go home and, and wait. You yeah. know what I mean? The going home and waiting, that, that frustrated the fuck out of me that we were like, we have these ideas, and we can't do them. We need to wait. We have to pitch them to some network, yeah, no. and I'm like... I don't like anything you're doing, and I'm telling you this thing that I think would be great, and then it, and then it's very liberating when you start doing things like Nerdist, and then you feel bad. You audition for stuff that you don't even like, and you don't get it, and you feel bad about it because yeah. they didn't want you. And I and I guess, you know, so, I mean, I mean, I cannot even begin to tell you how much. I mean, I, everyone, everyone's in the same boat, but just mammoth amounts of rejection. I mean, I would hear so much rejection, or you know, like. Well, you're not leading man enough, or you're not, you know, you're not mm-hmm. goofy friend enough, or you're not this enough, or you're not that enough, or they went, you know, like so, so, so much rege- like just, di- you know, fifteen years of just rejection, mm-hmm. and you know, I worked every once in a while, but for every job, there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of no jobs of getting close, but then not getting it yeah. or not getting close, or like people wouldn't even see me because they were like, ah, he's not, he's washed up. And like, so, like Ben Stein, for example. Like, I guess so. Like a little bit. And so basically, but something, I don't know, just something happened. Something with me is that, like, I'll get that rejection and I feel the pain of it. And I'm like, fuck. But then rather than go, eh, I guess I shouldn't be doing this. Some, I don't know, something lights up in me where I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to fucking, you know, like, I yeah. get that kind of like, I'll fucking show you. Can I? That and is, I don't know what it is. We're both nice guys, but I bet we have a similar cruel ambition not not t- towards other people an inward and introverted pointed at ourselves like fuck we're gonna you're gonna do this you dummies like talking to show business like yeah or 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 you know or it's sort of the healthy part of competition where mm. it's like i i you know i want to i want to win at things but not at the expense of like lighting everyone else on fire it's right. just like for me personally yeah like okay i will i will conquer this i mean mm-hmm. maybe it goes back to you know, video games and chess club. I mean, I played competitive chess through most of my school. Yeah. School, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, not, not. So you could be competitive in chess, like you could want to humiliate your opponent. Well, you know, chess was a really interesting tournament. Chess was a very interesting dynamic because, you know, um, it's, it's, there's a whole mind game that like when you sit down with someone, there's a bigger mind game than just what's going on, the pieces on the board, because, you're trying to ascertain as much information about the person sitting across from you to try to figure out how he would maneuver 
his pieces. And then cut his weakness. Whether or not he was on the offense with White or whether or not he was playing defensive with Black. And, and then just sort of figure out, because you're constantly looking, or at least the way that I always approached it was, you know, every time you move a piece, right before you move a piece, you're looking, or I was, like, 10 moves ahead for every piece. Like, how could everything play out? Mm-hmm. What are all the possible combinations of moves that could happen? And how can I, you know, trick this guy into thinking that I'm doing this when I really want to kind of slide in and do this and mm-hmm. take the queen or whatever? And so it was there was a lot of that. You just made chess sound very exciting to me. Well, we, it is a we, very exciting yeah, game. If you understand it, yeah. So exciting that I can't, I, I find it difficult to play anymore because I was so, it required so much energy, which as a kid you have <laughs> infinite amounts yeah, yeah, yeah. of. And now it makes me tired because I don't know how to play chess recreationally. I only know how to play like where it's, I am looking at, I'm, tr- I'm looking at every possible move. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes back to the open heart question where you get so good at comedy chess and career chess that you start to like, lose the fun of it is that a consideration no not well it is i guess but to me it's what's fun for me is the diversity of things yeah that i get to work on so i don't ever oh, that's right you know like oh i get to do talking dead and i get to do stand-up and then i get to program the channel and i get right. to make the bowling show and then i get to you know um it's the only career that is it, it's like your life when are you when are you putting this up uh if you have a preference we can do something well, I'm just curious, just cause, like, know, knowing what I should talk about or not talk about. Uh, I mean, we, we could put it out. Uh, if we were putting it in order, we'd put it out probably not this week, but next week. Oh, okay. All right. But if, if you wanted to promote something. But there's a couple new things week. that I'm working on that it's just like, those are new things. Like, I'm doing yeah. a pilot for Comedy Central. And, yeah. Oh, cool. And, uh, and, um, and then I, I'm writing a pilot for a network. And so there's like everything's different. Like everything yeah, yeah, yeah. is engaging in a different way mm-hmm. and it's all very modular and nothing is technically full time. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me that's how I keep it from feeling like a chore is that my attention is constantly It's like that Star Trek chess. There's all the different Yeah, there's all the different, <laughs> different yeah. levels and you're like yeah. now I'm playing this one. But you're absolutely right. It's it, it, do you I bet you do. I just know the I it's one of those careers that just becomes your life that's like what you feel like your life is the diversity is such that you're just like yeah this is this is who i am and what i do sort of thing it kind of goes back to sort of sort of building a weird career off of a bunch of little things like a bunch of part-timey modular things Mm -hmm. goes back to um in the um, i guess maybe five six years ago i was just i was just kind of like well actually really nine years ago when i quit drinking it took me a year or two to kind of get emotionally stable because when you first get sober, you're dealing with emotions that you never dealt with before. Mm-hmm. Any emotions. Mm-hmm. You just weren't accustomed to dealing with. So it's a weird mood swing constantly because you're just – you're like a fucking infant. You're an emotional infant trying yeah, to yeah, – yeah. Like that's what this feels like. I mean it's almost not as severe, but it's ve- – but I imagine it's somewhat analogous to uh, I've never been able to hear anything before. And now all of a sudden I can hear. And what the fuck is that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that emotionally when you get sober. Interesting. At least it was. For Did me. you go through the program? No, I, 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 um, I intended to, and then I, you know, I went to a couple meetings and I, a couple different meetings, and I didn't like them. Mm. I felt the general sense of okay, we're on the same boat, but I just, I always just felt bad when I left hmm. because I would, I would take on. I'm empathic in the way they're, uh, you know, I just sort of take on other people's emotions. That's funny. I got that word from your interview with Conan. Oh, you did? Because he said, I'm an empath. And oh, he like, is, and yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just going to steal that. It's a good word. It and, is a good word. And so I would absorb their misery, and then I would leave feeling bad. And then um, I think maybe it was, uh, well, I shouldn't say which comic it was, but another comic, uh, his wife, 
I was talking to her about it, and her, her husband is sober. And I, and I was like, yeah, you know, I was going to meetings, and I feel bad because I'm just not – they just don't work for me. And she was like, oh, he didn't, he didn't like them either. Yeah. And I was like, what? So you don't have to? I mean, meetings work for a lot of people. Right. And if, you, if they resonate with you, you should definitely – I had a therapist, so it wasn't like I had no guidance. Like right. everyone needs some guidance through sure. that process, and mm-hmm. for me, it was just I just had a one-on-one therapist. It, it's tricky because my my father, for example, got sober without going through the program as well, and you run the risk of. Uh, and I'm not saying this about my dad, but uh, you can carry on alcoholic tendencies. Yes, in, the dry drunk syndrome. The, yeah, dry and, drunk. And I think I think the the reason why it's so important to get therapy or or have group support is because a lot of people think that the solution to the problem is just to quit the substance. Right. And that's not. That just gets you on the road. You still have a reason that you, that's a symptom. Yeah. And so you have to figure out what's broken about you. Right. To and that and that's really why like I think some people quit drinking and then they go back and they go what well, didn't make me feel any better like yeah because you still have to f- you still have problems right, right 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 it's just that now you're putting yourself into a position where you have the clarity to deal with them yeah healthily and that and that's trouble that can be hard it's very hard so so for a couple years there was that and then i really went looking for answers and how can i improve my life and how can i you know i recognized i have this kind of a, a, a compulsive brain so maybe i should focus that on work Mm-hmm. It's not going away, right? It's either going to be drinking, or it's going to be something else, or it's going to be video games, which right, I had to quit right, for a long right. time. You did, so yeah. And so, <laughs> it might as well, like, if I if I know I have, if I'm predisposed to this, rather than saying like, I don't want to, I'm not going to be a, a, about anything. I'm just gonna, you know, yeah. like I'm going to focus this on something that's actually constructive. Well, that that's the superhero thing. It's like you're bit by a radioactive spider. That's your problem, and then you use it to fight crime. I just got bitten by a spider the other night. Did you really? I have a spider bite on my back, like just two clearly fang marks. Way creepier to get bitten by a spider than a mosquito. Oh yeah. I don't know why. Just the idea of like a spider was in my skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, in your blood. He didn't have the fucking decency to be uh, some type of uh, radioactive super he spider. Didn't help you, but your weird controlling uh, alcoholic style brain, and I don't mean any of that to be funny, no, I, even though no. it came out weird. That's funny though. You transferred it to your career a little bit in the beginning. I mean, what happens for me is that when you quit drinking, for me, or when I quit drinking. A lot of it was for vanity reasons, like I want to look better and I want to live healthier and I want to try to get my career back, which was pretty much dead in the water at that point. Um, and, then, and then when you do that, then you start going like, oh, there were a million other deeper reasons why I should have done this. Right, I just right, didn't right. realize it at the right. time. And so, you know, like six years ago, after I'd had a few years of sobriety, I really started looking for answers. You know, how can I, how can I kind of create something? And, you know, so I was, I was big into sites like Lifehacker and... And you know, no, I don't know life hacker. Life, life hacker is just a good. It's it's life hacks, and so whether it's shortcuts for computing or technology or brain hacks or just like how to. I need an example. What's a brain? I want a brain hack. Well, a brain hack, like how to you know, like some people will talk about how they trick themselves into writing for an hour a day by scheduling a. You know, I don't know. It, it's it's so good. It's just basically shortcuts. It's just shortcutting processes yeah it's interesting that's right life is a great site and so it was a lot of freelancers who would go to life hacker and there was a really nice community and you know one guy talked about how in his spare time he started blogging for a bunch of different sites and then that ended up becoming his full-time thing mm-hmm. and i was like oh my god why am i not i, I don't because i had thought i have to pick one thing mm-hmm. and that has to be my career just one job maybe it's stand-up and i was like no i don't 
Mm-hmm. I can do a bunch of things that represent different facets of things that I'm really passionate about that I actually care about. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I kind of started the whole Nerdist thing. Was like I'm just gonna fo- I'm just gonna do I'm just gonna focus on stuff that I genuinely care about, which I never would have been able to make happen in the entertainment industry before because they would have considered that section of culture too niche mm-hmm. and so there just weren't nerd based shows and there weren't nerd like it just wasn't just wasn't available until the mid 2000s and then you proved it i mean you proved that it exists everywhere well i i wasn't i mean like a lot of people did like right. you know the, the spider-man franchise the x-men franchise comic books you know porting over to film um right. shows like battlestar you know like it, it's it, G4 as a channel like there the, the fact that everyone had broadband I mean like there were a lot of you know touch points Apple like Apple's Apple's you know pervasive um, technology in our culture you know iPhones like all of that helped it just they were all different pieces that kind of helped all unify yeah that's interesting and you know and because deli- it was it's not just about making the content but having a delivery system in place yeah just like podcasts podcasts were very early adoptery and 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 you had to be a fucking audio nerd to know about podcasts before iTunes made them accessible. Right. And once the delivery system was ex- was accessible to people, game changer? Game changer. <laughs> huge game changer. And I and I'm telling you, the same fucking thing's going to happen with television as soon as for the average consumer, it's just as easy to get internet content as it is I mean it, on their TVs. It is for most for a lot of people, if you yeah. have an Xbox or an Apple TV or a Roku box or whatever, right, right, right. Um, then it's very easy to get internet. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, but and like and, when my mom. And Xboxes will probably, and Xbox will have a browser on it right. probably by the end of this year. And so then you'll really be. But like for your mom, my dad, people like that, it's not. Getting to the internet from the television is not as easy as hitting a channel changer. Right. And once that happens, once the delivery system changes, the content is there, mm-hmm. that will be the next big game change. Yeah. I wonder if that's when censorship will come in. I mean, we can't have. Just the you know the wild west of the internet coming onto TVs and Tacoma. Maybe or maybe 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 the you know maybe there are subscription based models where like if you want family friendly programming, right? Yeah, that's going to be weird. What what was you know what I'm interested in uh, a lot of what you just said, but it, the alcoholism stuff is is really sticking with me, and the shift to uh, career stuff, the career the, the career obsession being similar to the soothing quality of booze. Okay, yeah. here's what I wanted to put to you and put to your kind of expertise on this subject because you know you've given a lot of thought in your own therapy and stuff. When I was doing my my pilot for Conan, so that was like a couple months, and I just like wasn't drinking because mm-hmm. I didn't like feel any need to drink i was getting the soothing and and the and the i guess maybe the attention or whatever it was i was living the life i really wanted to do and then when it was over now i'm not like a huge drinker but like the need kind of came back right my therapist recently was telling me he was like i think when you don't get what you want me uh he's like you're like well i'll just give myself i'll take care of myself and there's a sort of like that controlling i can like i love what you said about food and alcohol you're like i put this in my body Fuck everybody. It's that stubborn kind of toddler thing. You and I both kind of circumventing things, being like, I'm going to make my own shit if no one else is going to yeah. like, help me make it. And then also, like, I'm going to booze this stuff. To, so what, what is it that you're filling? What, what is it that your career is now meeting that alcohol used to? And also, are you afraid that if, like, your career took some goofy turn that you might, you might be going back to that if you didn't address oh, I, these I don't things. think I would ever drink again. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that with 100% certainty because it's sure. not smart to do that. But, <laughs> but, but, but there, I, have no, I have no real desire for it anymore. I mean, you know, with um, – oh, you said a bunch of things that I wanted to comment on. Just then? 
Uh, yeah, there was a lot of really good stuff in there. Oh, the you know, in terms of like control and eating, the the the, the negative, like not, not negative, but but the opposite side of it is where you get anorexia and bulimia, mm. where they're they're controlling not or well not with bulimia, but with anorexia, controlling not putting food in. Yes. As much as the reverse is, you just controlling like, put a bunch of food in to mm-hmm, control how mm-hmm. you feel, and so it's all those are all control issues, and I think also people, what I assume like you, I mean, I think any any great comic probably has a very active internal monologue, but but I think for people who are very self aware, because you know a lot of people are not self aware mm-hmm. in the way that I think comics are more prone to. That kind of stuff because we are, just live so much in our own heads and we're constantly analyzing and constantly seeing the angles on things and constantly mm-hmm. trying to break stuff How's down. How's this going to come across? Exactly. So yeah. for us, a lot of it, I think, has to do with the distraction from that chatter. Yes. And so if you're working, you're distracted by your job. Yeah. And when you're not working, oh, you are trying to distract the chatter with the alcohol you because it numbs. You just it right open. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's it Basically, you are – you know, we – we are constantly looking for ways to distract ourselves from ourselves. Yeah. And is that why you took a break from video games? Is it, was that getting unhealthy or is It was getting unhealthy. Way? I mean, I, I you know, um, it was – I remember being at auditions and thinking about a video game that I hadn't finished yet and mm. then going home and then just staying up until 4 or 5 in the morning playing games. And, and so it was another thing where – kind of like with drinking where I was like, you know, I could either take this energy that I have – and keep just putting it into games, which aren't really going to do anything for me. Yeah. Or I can focus that. I mean, I really look at all of the Nerdist stuff as like a big video game. It's like a Sim City, or like a, it is, or man. like Warcraft, or yeah. like a. It's basically a resource building game. Yeah. And so it really, it was kind of going. Okay, the mechanisms are there. Maybe I should do. Maybe I should put them into a thing that will actually help me. Have a career, yeah. Rather than you know, so that. The, but if you really pull everything back, I think the, that it has the guts of like a resource building game, like SimCity yeah, yeah. or, or 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 Warcraft. That makes me so happy to think that you can that you. It's possible, not just in comedy, but in different fields, you can create a world and a life that kind of does feel like a video game. You check these different levels. Absolutely. Well, that's I wrote. That's rate. that's like a huge chunk of the book that I wrote was like that's what I did. Like mm. that's how I did that was to sort of realize this is what kind of powered my brain yeah and so you know i had proven that i had this weird amount of focus on stuff yeah so i'm just going to aim that at this other thing yeah. and see how it goes yeah and you know it turns out if you focus on something and for a long period of time and really commit yourself to figuring it out and figuring out the process then it you know sooner or later it's probably going to work out in yeah. some way. That's so cool. You, you made me realize one of the things that made me kind of pump the brakes on video games, and I don't play that often. Sometimes people are like, what's your gamer tag? And it's not that I don't want people to have it. It's more that, like, you'll never see. You know, I, can, yeah. I just won't be. There. But what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been on Xbox Live in a very, very long time. But um, I was playing video games with a comic that I loved. I just thought he's one of the greatest guys. And we're playing Tiger Woods Golf, Mm -hmm. and he was just fucking amazing at it. He was (laughs) so good at it. And he was stoned, and he said... uh, you know, his character had like $7 million or something. Oh, wow. You know, like he just had so much money. And he said something that made me go like, oh, I'm, I'm going to like take a break from this. He goes, if I could just find a way. It's such a stone thought. If I could just find a way to like have a dollar for every $100,000. In I'd the have... game, if you win a tournament, do you get to go in the clubhouse and fuck a stripper? <laughs> <laughs> that would be so amazing. That, that would be the waitress. most amazing mod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiger Woods Golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could do that. <laughs> You're a sex addict. You can spend it as you want on all different kinds of, yeah. uh, of sex. 
Uh, but that, that's when I was, that's when I, I, I think I had a similar thing to you where I was like, I really want my life to be the game. Let me ask you this. Uh, the, the, I'm, I, I'm really, I was moved by what you said about the, uh, sometimes you hear something no matter how many times you hear it again. And it's like the first time that thing about distracting our brain, yeah. wanting to shut our brains off. Sure. There's, there's a lot of talk about that on, on this show, meditation or, or, or exercise or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're looking for ways to shut it down, shut it down. Uh, I'm wondering always how that applies to relationships because you, you're, you're, you're dating somebody mm-hmm. and you have the type of brain that, uh, that is always kind of firing and looking inwards and, and there's a little bit of, again, not dysfunction, but just like abnormality. Well, it's, it's a lot of, you know, I mean, with, with the overactive <laughs> analysis thing, you know, I always say when your brain runs out of things in the external world yeah. to analyze or be distracted by, and then it turns inward. Yes. And that's where you get your anxiety and depression and then yeah. like, oh, my God. And so, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes because yeah. it's very hard to go, you know, particularly for what we do, um, we are our careers. Right. So it's not like, it's not like, like someone, someone kind of trolled something that I did online recently, and they're like, "Well, I wasn't taking a shot at you. I was just taking a shot at the show that you know." They're like, <laughs> you executive they're producer. inseparable. Yeah, like, yeah. They're inseparable. <laughs> we are our careers. We are our jobs. And so, it's not like it's not like a it's not like a like a job with set hours where you go. Ah, I can leave the paperwork at the office. Like you're the paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're the office. Yeah. And it's very hard to separate those things and shut those mechanisms off. Right. So your girlfriend essentially is dating your career a little bit. Well, she's. I mean, she's dating the. I mean, like I have my brain, and my brain powers that, and yeah. so it's it's hard to. There's, there has. Well, well, tell me, does there have to be a certain bit of acceptance of like? It's, you met a fucking Doctor Who convention. Right. It seems like she might be similarly interested. And, yeah. you know, I see her at shows and stuff. So there, there's an acceptance and maybe an appreciation of, of your oh, work yeah, no, as well. She's, she's great. She's great about that. And uh, She seems like, first of all, I, I just want to say, I don't know why, but she's clearly her own person. Totally. That I, I, I've had like two conversations with her and I'm like, oh, this person has her shit together yeah. and she's independent and it's not... No one is like, oh, Chris's girlfriend. You know you what know, I mean? You know what's interesting is that when I look back at all the girls, because I'm sort of a serial monogamist, I, I, I've it's sort of relationship to everybody. And Jan yeah. and I were together for, for seven years. and then That was uh, the relationship prior? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And every woman that I've had a long-term relationship with has been the, that kind of like, and I think maybe it's, well, this very independent, very strong. That's a turn-on, right? Very, yeah. I think, And I think maybe, you know, um, my I was raised primarily by my mom. I mean, my dad was certainly in my life, but my mom, I was... That was us high-fiving. It's too hot to actually high-five, <laughs> so I just clapped. <laughs> I mean, my, da- my, dad and I are very cl- my dad and I are very close now, but there was a period when I was younger where we weren't that close. And so I was very much raised, you know, like, mostly by my mom. And so I just think I identify with strong, independent women. Right. And, um, and I don't know. There's just something really cool about it. Like, I like when a girl will riff. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, like, I could not <laughs> date someone who just sat in the corner and went, whatever you want to do. I'd be like, just tell me something. Yeah, that's such a funny distinction. Comedians, we will be talking about girls and be like, she does riffs. That's so important. <laughs> but you know, you know, as a comedian. <laughs> oh, you, she riffs. You, you know that, that kind of, like, fishing thing that you do where you will go into, maybe you go into a room 
and you just kind of lob something out, and then you just see like who jumps on it. Yeah. And the people who jump on it in a way that's engaging to you, you just go right to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's back and forth. Well, that's a type of confidence, too, and that's a type of, uh, like you were saying, power. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like... I think it's interesting. Girls don't guy comedians when they're talking about girls don't go, She's funny. They go, She riffs. It means they're willing to play. You know and, what I mean? And, it's and like they know s- the angle enough yeah. to be like I don't know. Riffing is sort of a it's sort of a badge of honor in a way because if you can riff with people in conversation Yes. It's just like that's that's a that's what comics do. Right, right, right. Little little pull off. You pull off just for one exit and then yeah, you come exactly. back to the conversation. And so, you know, so I, I these are these are the, the and, Types of girls. They, yeah, 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 I just like that. <laughs> oh, that was so sweet. There was something really sweet about that. And these are, and I was kind of interrupting you, and you the kind of kind of girls. Kind of girls yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Uh, wow, well, I was just I, I had something, but then I got distracted by me calling uh, that moment. We sweet. were talking about, you know, is it difficult in relationships? Here's what I want to ask you, and this everybody knows what I'm currently thinking about on the show because it comes up for like three, four episodes, and then I'll work through it. I do. I realized recently, and I've been talking about it in therapy that I do a lot of fantasizing. Uh, not, (laughs) 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 not that I will play things out a lot. Like, let's say there's something, uh, that you're going to do. Like, let's say this podcast goes long Mm -hmm. and you were supposed to meet your girlfriend. Uh, and you, what I'll do in that situation is I'll start having the conversation with her in my brain, like, and, and play it out. Almost like so that you can plan it out. Let me put it in your terms, like a role playing game where there's only three things you can say. Like yep. I think of the three things she might be able to select to say. It's okay, in which case I say thank you so much. You're the coolest. B, she's upset, and then I'll like draft. I don't like what I'm saying. I don't like this about myself. No, no, I'll you're, you're like running a, programs. You're yeah. basically running a script. You're exactly. running. It's it's like your 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 computery brain is. Is trying to prepare for every possible yes. situation so that you can figure out how to control that situation. Control it? It's so fucking sad. I'm working on it. And also come out really good. Say the perfect thing. Respond perfectly. When you were younger, did, did you get punished a lot? Or did you was someone in your family sort of OCD? Where, where, in other words, yeah, this, I, this idea of perfect or nothing? Yeah. Like, what, I think, what do you think I think, I think it came a little bit from... My parents weren't, like, traditional alcoholics, but they were alcoholics. You know what they I mean? They were modern alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> they were always drinking Ciroc. <laughs> it wasn't even out yet. They had Ciroc. They were drinking laser booze. <laughs> I'm watching were... TV from the future. They're <laughs> future drinking alcoholics. booze from the future. <laughs> Everyone's drinking laser booze. And it's like, <laughs> fucking fire it into your mouth. Laser shots. <laughs> it just ricochets in your mouth. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, oh, man. Laser booze. It literally fries. <laughs> your brain cells (laughs) i think i got it from wanting to control a a kind of somewhat chaotic emotionally chaotic if you you grew up in a chaotic environment then there's there's a there's a definitely a need to like i need a i need to stability i wanted to stabilize so naturally you went into (laughs) stand-up it's true i tell my therapist i'm like that's what that's why the spider bite spider bite bad part fighting crime good part i learned how to like control people and make them feel happy and kind of like but then like in relationships it's only in relationships i don't do it as much with my friends sometimes i do it with my friends but if i get in a relationship i start doing that sort of thing and i really want to stop doing that yeah. do you find yourself are you able to relax and just be in the now with your girlfriend or i try you... really hard but it's very difficult for me to relax yeah i, I have a, this sort of weird mantra that i try to remind myself and i've been saying it a lot lately which is um uh learn from the past plan for the future and live in the present yeah and it's very hard to do that particularly because i work on so many different things that require me to 
break down what happened, what worked, what didn't work, and then figure out what to do next. Yes. And of course that that's, that's what happens in my life. And that's what so much generalized anxiety is, is, oh my God, what if? It's the what ifing. Yeah. It's the waking up at four o'clock in the morning like, yeah. oh, what if I have nose cancer? You yeah. Know, or whatever. Right. Where you're more prone to anxiety in the middle of the night. I'm sure it has something to do with circadian rhythms and chemicals released in your brain or something. But, but, it, um, but it, it definitely... It definitely bleeds over. But there's that thing. Like, I remember when I uh, wrote some first stand-up years years and years before I would ever do stand-up. I think I was, like, maybe 13 years old. And I was writing it out. And in the little routine I wrote, there was a heckler. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, like, that's that beginning of, like, I'm going to plan for a heckler. I did that when I was first starting comedy, too, was that I would write. I wrote. Um, I, I Oh, you know, when I my, my, my first. Well, not first. My first. Before I into stand-up was in college. Mm-hmm. And that was a handful of shows at UCLA and dorm shows. That's where I met Mike Furman and you know, oh, cool. we became buddies. Hard and, then, and, then, and then in 98, when I started, I had this thing that I would do where I would offer, at the start of the set, I would go, here's $5 or $10 or whatever it was. I'm going to give this to whoever I feel enjoys my set the most at the end. That's so funny. That's in the Judy Carter book. Is it? Stand-up comedy. Not exactly that. Oh, I didn't mean to. Which I didn't, I didn't read. Like, I remember read, reading that in college. Okay, here, here's what she says in that book. I'm embarrassed for both of us that we read that. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why. Because, because as silly as a lot of that book was, at least it gets you to you know where she says, write down ten things you hate. Write down ten. Yeah. Things you like. I mean, there are exercises in there that if you're starting comedy, it anything that helps you think. Yeah. I'm going to contradict myself and just agree with you. <laughs> I, I see the embarrassing element of owning and reading a book called Stand-Up Comedy, the book. I may not recommend it to I someone. I got a lot of stuff from it, too. Maybe not now. I don't know. I mean, I might just tell people, like, just start performing. Yeah. You know? But at the time, it, it, it helped open up some doors. Two things. One was, she says, go up on stage with the urgency that you had something you wanted to tell someone all day and you finally see them. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be like, hey! But like that sort of like oh you're here I, I really wanted to tell you that's like kind of undercurrent you behind need to your be eyes. engaged in what you're saying get engaged like yeah. fake that sort of thing the thing that she said and it's just one line in the book and it's weird that we kind of both I wonder if you remember it she said uh, she was like there's something about letting the crowd know that they're talking about bad crowds small crowds and she said something about giving money to the biggest laugher oh that's funny maybe yeah. that just stuck in the maybe I read it's that like and one forgot line. about it for ten years yeah yeah. yeah. But, um, it wasn't like a tip. It wasn't like do that. It's like one little anecdote, oh, got it. barely in the book. But I, but I, and then and then if that way, if, if someone would heckle or the crowd was going to be like, well, I guess you don't want this ten dollars very uh, badly. And so it was a way to control yeah. the crowd. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's funny because I'm decent at controlling sometimes, sometimes controlling the crowd and how they're feeling. And there's a little bit of a like, like what I'll do. I don't give out money, but I'll be like this person. Is I'll say is cashing their laughter, their happy checks. Look at how happy they are. They're our leader. Like I'll do that most shows. I'll find the people that are living their lives and encouraging them to be in the moment. There's like a like a little bit of a hypnotic quality to it, being like, look at them. They're being like, follow them. And people are stupid. It's like a life hack, even though I've never been to that site. There's a little bit of a life hack corporately in a group to be like, let's enjoy this show. And people are like, yeah, let's enjoy this show. Life hacker will change your life. Really? You'll I find all, all sorts of email shortcuts and technology shortcuts. You'll, you'll love it. I, yes. But, it, but it's really, you know, like watching you, when we just did the Outside Lands. Uh, oh, yeah. I keep thinking. I've been listening to that uh, Bob Seger song we got tonight, and I always <laughs> think of you. I, I, I play that song so much. I, I just, it just puts me in such a good mood. That and was I, really fun. Keckner, watching you and Dave Keckner sing it. Keckner wanted to do, like, with a, you know. It was uh, great. With a live band, I watched you sing We Got Tonight. 
I had wanted to do Almost Paradise from the Footloose soundtrack, and Keckner Keckner was like, "Man, I'm just stuck on we've got tonight." And I'm like, "All right, let's do it." That's so funny. And it was so much. It was yeah, so much yeah, fun. Yeah. That song is such a thinly veiled. You know, they got Dave Matthews tonight. Let's be lovers is also right. in the same genre. I'm just like, just suck my dick. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like I'm Bob. Just Seger. put it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The song should be but, We Got Tonight. Parentheses. Just put it in. Don't, go, just br- pulling it back around to melt your brain a little bit. All about living in the present. That song. Well, buddy, yeah, you did just move me. <laughs> There's the line. We've got tonight. Who needs tomorrow? Let's just fucking have this moment. And no, it, it's in the song. He goes, no one will care. Right. He says no one will care. And then he goes, look at the stars so, so far, far away. away. That's something. We've that's got some, tonight. That's some pimp shit to be like. Who needs tomorrow? Look at the stars. Yeah, I know. Look how small we are. Don't think fucking about how you're going to regret this yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just live in the now. Fucking suck it. I have a boner. <laughs> you have a place. Your <laughs> vagina is engorged with blood, I'm assuming. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Katie, I just got a weird look. Yeah, that's a, that's a covetable, covetable thing. Um, you're right, it's about being in the moment. It's all about being in the moment. But, I, you know, watching your set, I, I really love watching you. You know, guys like you and Bronger, I really love watching. No. <laughs> 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 Gotta do Bronger if he comes up. No, it's just like that's a slapstick cum shot. Yeah, is what that is. It's like <laughs> if you were in the movie Cannonball Run and you were coming. That's <laughs> a, <laughs> Charlie Callis. He's come up twice on the show. You're watching me and Bronger. Yeah, I'm sorry. Watching, to keep no, but but like watching you, uh, and, and particularly you, you, you know the set that you had at Outside Lands. But you really have managed to 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 do what I still feel like I've not figured out with stand up yet. Hmm. Which is to really be who you are on stage yeah. and spin that into comedy, and 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 I'm you know now it's that's interesting. Now that I've been doing now that I've been doing stand up, you know, full professionally or whatever for fourteen years. Sure, I still feel like you know because I'm I have to write the new hour now because I just burned through the old hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the old hour wasn't really the old hour was reverse engineered to be an hour. Hmm. It was just like, oh, a bunch of s- small sets. Oh, how do I tie these together? Right. And now it's like, I can start from scratch. I yeah. can say anything I yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't figure out what that is. But and you can make it a piece like that is made forward engineered. I guess so, but I still feel like, you know, when I talk about things that I actually feel on stage, it's still hmm. still too real and not ta- funny enough. Let me spin this back. First of all, thank you for the compliment. Secondly, I'm about to compliment you, is, is that... Uh, it's all because of the podcast. That so that crowd for the most part, sure. as you know, as we always text each other, game changer, game changer. <laughs> like I was just in Arizona, you know, fifteen twenty people will be podcast fans, and if twenty people out of one hundred and fifty or whatever will carry it. Will change yeah. the show, yeah, completely. Yeah. I know they'll get the drive reference. I, or whatever. I, do people know about Game Changer? Have you told them on the podcast? I think didn't you sit in once? Because you've sit in a couple times and we talked about Game. If changer, we didn't talk about, let, it, just, talk about it, just really briefly. Yeah, please. When Pete started a podcast, yes. Initially, most people don't know this. It was going to be a podcast with Pete and Chelsea Peretti. That's true. Chelsea didn't feel like leaving her house. Literally didn't feel like leaving her house to do the record a podcast yeah. of Meltdown. I re- yeah, she was, she was averse to uh, To the leaving her house. To travel. Uh, and so you said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do it alone. Yeah. And I and then the whole time I was saying to you like I'm telling you that this it will change yeah it will change and I didn't, your I didn't believe that I didn't believe that and and people were like it'll make you draw on the road and I was like who cares it will about change that? your standup and then I think maybe it took a, a couple months 
And then you did a show or something, and a bunch of people showed up, and you texted me, you're like, this is a game changer. And you said, like, five times you wrote game changer. And so that became our inside joke. Yeah. Anytime I would see the word, which I found out is an a often lot, uh, used You find term, a lot of good game changers. I would take a picture in a magazine of an ad that's a game changer and then text it to Makes you. Makes me laugh every time. And so that's- And so, happy every time. And, ha- and so that's- So that's here's what's weird. You are one of the uh, uh, chefs uh, of the compliment you gave me. So you're like, oh, Pete's just being Pete. But I was trying, and in my life, I'm trying out how to, how to be Pete all the time. That's a big theme of this show. <laughs> I literally was telling myself recently, I was hanging out with somebody, I was like, just be, just be the guy on the show. <laughs> because this is real me. This is how I talk in therapy. This is how I talk to my friends. And then sometimes when I'm talking to other people, I'll just like, I feel myself putting on a, like, a little bit of a facade or something. Like, please like me or whatever. And I'm like, one of the weird lessons of the podcast is like, People who are going to like you, the right people will like you for being yourself. Isn't it amazing that you learned so many weird lessons from doing this show that you probably, you never could have foreseen never. in a million years? I thought it would be bits. You think like, yeah, I'm just going to be doing bits every week? Yeah, Fuck. Even yeah. I would get bored of that. Yeah. But at a certain point, you run out of bits, and so you kind of go... I guess all I have left is just me. Yeah. I just have to survive on me. And then you realize, like, maybe that's not a terrible thing. Right. And maybe you don't have to be perfect or whatever. Stuff that I never thought I would admit. I always go to jerking off on an airplane, but that's that's just my go-to. <laughs> always. I mean, yeah. just, <laughs> just like the... embarrassing things, things that like my divorce or whatever. You learn that it's like the people – what is that, Dr. Seuss? Uh, say what you mean because the people – say say what's on your mind. Because the people who mind don't matter and the people that matter don't mind. Oh, right, right, right. The people who matter don't mind. Yeah, that's what it is. Say what you actually feel. So then it was this great experiment. So this, this goes back. So now people in the audience, when I do stand-up, some of them are weirdos, which is great. And now I le- learned that I can't, I can't lie. Not that I wanted to ever, but they're holding me to this place. And they know just like saying something that's genuinely me will get a response. Whereas before it was just some stranger saying something. We're like, we're not sure if this is true. But people delight in the truth. They like hearing someone be who they are. Well, yeah, because as a comic, it's, if you're performing in front of a group of strangers, yes. you very quickly have to give them a context of who you are so that they will understand right. the things you're saying to them. That's Unless you're just doing jokes about like One things line. that they know, like McDonald's. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then That's... That's where you get the here's who I look at open who's here's who I look like opener right so you're like I know you see me and I, I I know I look like that guy and then you have to tell them like where you're from and stuff and all this sort of stuff but if that stuff's already there that so here it is thank you for this podcast no you did it I know but you uh, I've said several times on the show I don't know if I would have had it in me to like grassroot it. You know what I mean? The first episode had like 25,000 listeners because it was on Nerdist, okay? (laughs) So that's something huge. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want to like build it slowly. And then all this game changing and stuff leading up to the set of mine that you just complimented is something that I'm grateful to you for. Oh, stop it. Ah, come on. I'm on the seventh step. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean mean it. Anything that takes 12 steps (laughs) isn't worth doing. Is that something? Simpsons. Oh. Oh, no. That's I don't when, know that when one. when Barney quits drinking. <laughs> and then Homer goes to the meeting with him. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, I heard there were cookies. And he's over there, at the ta- they're over there at the table. And Homer goes, anything that takes 12 steps isn't worth doing. Am I right? And then it just cuts to him like waking up in the bushes like, how did I get out here? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been this. It's, it's informed your stand-up, I'm sure. And it's informed my stand-up. And, and then it's just... It really is, and I, I get a little worked, like a little emotional when I think about this. But it informs my life, even with like my mother. Like I, I was talking to 
like the way that I talk to anybody in my life has been changed from the podcast. There's been a little bit more of a like let's not dance around this. Well, because you because you have to you have to learn how to succinctly get to information. Yeah. And you ju- and you just kind of learn how to dig around. Right. And you know, I think one of the greatest experiences that I've had on my podcast was podcasting my dad, which I just thought would be an interesting chat because he's an interesting guy. Yes. And ended up being one of the most significant conversations we've ever, maybe the most significant conversation we've ever had in our relationship. Yeah. Which then kind of led me to tell people like, you know what? Interview your parents. Yeah. Like you don't know who they are. Yeah. Because you just, when you're small talking, you just don't ever dig past the surface. But when you connect with someone like that on a human level, because you're inquisitive and curious and you genuinely want to know. Yeah. I just needed a reason, and the reason was the podcast. This is what we do on the podcast. But in retrospect, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I almost didn't have that experience. Yeah. I was just happened to be visiting him. Yeah. I go, I should podcast my dad, professional bowler. He's a really interesting yeah. wife. Yeah. And it just was like, it was a defining moment in our relationship. Oh, it's so like beautiful. weird shit like that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something about the format. Uh, that, that's why when I hang out with people, I'm try, I try to recreate. I'm trying to bring this to, to life. Right. You know what I mean? Something about the earphones and the talking and, and the knowing that other people are listening and stuff. That's a great story. I'm so glad you got to do that with your, with your dad. Well, I'm glad to hear that it like, helped with your parents. It and helps your- with everything. It, it, learn, it teaches you to one have an opinion. I can't have a serious conversation with you if your shirt's going to be a half shirt. I know I can't. I can't. I can't not let my stomach breathe. It is so he hot. He just in folded here. his shirt up and it looks like a it looks like a like a teen like a teen girl's half shirt. I look like Tiffany Amber <laughs> Now I have to put it down. It's so hot in here. Do you, do you, I, look like, I love that. That was your go to. I love Tiffany Amber uh, God, I'd love to get her on the show. You Everybody, could. You I, could. I call my dick my show. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. That's very... Just a really crude joke out of nowhere. That's one of the things, too, is like we say really dirty and filthy stuff on this show. I was always waiting. First of all, it's a credit to the Nerdist community that they don't troll so much. You know what I mean? They're every, a nice crowd. Every once in a while, I'll get like the uh, like a renegade comment that's just like really cutting and like, why would you do that? Yeah. I don't understand. We're providing. The... My opinion is like, it's a free show. And like, why are you, why are you going out of your way to be like, fuck you? I know. I'm always to baffled. Me, I mean. I'm always baffled by that. By that thing or like you should do this or this or this like, yeah but it's free yeah <laughs> and it takes a lot of time right <laughs> i i've always been like we got like jim gaffigan uh you know to do the show and he's here for 90 minutes or whatever and i'm like jim gaffigan does a college i don't think i'm, I'm guessing first of all i don't know but if he does a college he's gonna make like tens of thousands of dollars a shit ton here we have him talking doing the same thing talking it's yeah. not the same polished act but and then uh, people are like I don't know. I don't know what they want. But for the for most part, the nerds community is just so, so great. And I've always, at the beginning of the podcast, was waiting for people to be like, you're filthy or you're offensive or like, we hate you or like, why would you say that? So little of that. Two things. First of all, the internet is essentially the sad billionaire who is wealthy with information. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We have access to all information at all times. Yeah. And so people just, because content is so ubiquitous and it's easy to get and it doesn't really... It's easy for people to take it for granted, and that's why they're so critical of stuff yeah. that you would, you know, think like, "Oh, this is like really." So you, I, you can fact check everything, I guess, but it's just like, yeah, big deal. That's a free podcast. There's a million other free podcasts. So what? Yeah, I want, and we've also kind of carved out this culture for ourselves where we expect everything to be exactly the way we want it, when we want it, 
how we want it and free. Yeah. And so we're spoiled, you That's know. And, true. And, I, and I suffer from it too. Yeah. So what was what was the other thing? The other thing that you said? Uh, very few bad comments. Why is it free? And then uh, that I was waiting for the shoe to drop and people to be offended by my offended. True, yeah. By my true personality. I, I, I used to think, you know, I've always wanted to be a clean comic, yeah. and it's not like I'm. It's not like I I'm. Uh, gratuitously filthy, yeah. But it's just my brain has always gone to the worst places. That Tiffany Amber Thiessen joke came out pretty naturally. <laughs> <laughs> like your cum would into yeah. her, oh, onto her, onto her. I'm pulling out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm sorry. To- whoa! And then when you do, you go whoa! Say by the bell. <laughs> And then Mr. Belding comes and goes, hey, hey, what is going on And he here? really would, yeah. Yeah, he would. He was watching in the closet. It's a deal, me and, and, me then, and you hear, then you hear an audible screech. <laughs> um, but, uh, wow. But, I really enjoyed and it. I, and I, for a long time, I've always felt bad about the fact that I'm not a clean comic like Gaffigan. Yeah. But then I just go back to, like, you know, look, Dana Gould, who I think was sort of the unintentional, like, one of the godfathers of that kind of comedy movement. Yep. You know, the Bill Hicks being another one. Sure. Of just, you know, Dana uh, and Bill just, and then, you know, and then you, then you see, you know, guys like Patton and Posehn and, mm-hmm. you know, there's an, there's an eloquent filth. Like, just because that there's a filth element to it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not smart. I mean, Dana Gould writes the most brilliantly sophisticated joke about dicks or, yeah, or, or, yeah, or, yeah. or jerking off or, yeah. and that's not all he does, but I mean, like, he just has a way of, of like it's just it's poetry, yeah. You know, and uh, but it, it's always in the subject matter doesn't matter. It became offensive to me the idea that I would withhold the the thoughts that really make, and me that's laugh. why it's okay because yeah. because people are not offended because it's because you're it's honest, it's organic, and it's not you trying to be like I want to make this joke about right, how right. I'm gonna fuck right, you know, with we the see baguette. those guys. Yeah, it's just it's organically who you are, and so I think on a very subconscious level, it resonates with people of like. He's not trying to do. He's not trying to pull anything right. over. Right, he's, right, not right. Being, he's not being. He's not being. You know, uh, inauthentic. He's. Right. That's what it is. He's. He's. That's who he is. Yeah. And so people respect. There's a vibration to. They that. respect the honesty yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. respect the honesty. Of I it. just today in the shower was going over how much of my act. My new. My. I'm. Do, I'm recording my hour in October. Sweet. I wonder if we can start cl- plugging that. I think it's October 23rd in Austin. Oh, nice. I got to figure that out. I'll say it at the beginning of the show. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm doing my hour. And I just, you know, I've been working it out. And I was like, quite a bit of it is about, because um, I've never been single before. So it's about, like, there's a lot of, like, jerking off jokes. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stuff about, like, uh, about uh, sex uh, and, like, my attitude about sex. There's attitude about um, sexuality. Stuff that's come up on this show. But then, I, 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 like, I had to – I still had that puritanical need to do a check and be like, are people going to consider this hour when I got dirty? And I was like, fuck, man. No one on the podcast has ever once written to me and been like, you're gross or anything. Right. It's, it's a wonderful life lesson. I'm at, like – it's on one hand, I should be able to validate myself. On the other hand, it's nice to get a group and an audience that do validate. Well, me. I think you know, you're... and I validate them too because they're always like, "I do that too," and I'm like, "Yes, good, I love you." I think your job as a as uh, like your job on the path to becoming a great comic is just being who you are. Yeah, it's figuring out who you are and being who you are. Right. I mean, obviously, people are you know heightened versions of themselves on right. stage. Sure. But you know, I think that's just sort of a performance thing. But 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 ultimately. You know, if you're who you are, then 
you know, people will get people will get that. Yeah. That's why I was a little surprised. I, I liked your compliment, but uh, remember I told you that somebody said that uh, me and you, they were like, you're the two comedians that have the most fun on stage because you do seem to have that. I'm just trying to return I love, the compliment. I, no, no, you don't have – well, first of all, you don't, it's not necessary, but <laughs> yeah, I yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but having fun on stage is the only way that I was able to um, – you know, like it's 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 the way you get through those seven show weekends. Yeah, because uh. if you can't, you just fucking die. It goes back again. Inside, it goes back to presence. It goes back to like it's hard to remember, like being here now. Like like you were saying that uh, your think, plan for the future. What yeah. was it? The past one. Learn from the past. Learn from the past. But being in the in the in the present will kind of freak you out. Like it's weird. But like when you're on stage, if you can, it'll bring a little bit of novelty to that set. Paul F. Tompkins years ago, like was a bit of advice. He was like, "I know this sounds hokey, yeah, but just have fun on stage. If you're having I fun, I know, then they will have fun." That's one of my. I, I'm. I didn't know he said that. That's one of my hugest things. And when people will tweet at me or, or whatever, email me and be like, "What's your advice?" I'm like, "I'm sorry to say this to you, but try to have fun." Yeah. And also try to realize when you would laugh if you were in the crowd. <laughs> like, that's such a hard question. Like, if you look at your joke and you're like, when would I laugh? And you're oh. like, probably wouldn't. That's a, hard, that's a hard time. It's a hard time to go through. Or if you laugh too hard at a joke, the audience probably doesn't get it. Because <laughs> right. it's probably too inside your own exactly. head. Exactly. That's perfect. Uh, let's see. Feeling of getting... Oh, I wanted, to, I wanted to close this out, not just with the religion, but the meaning of life. Because uh, you... <laughs> <laughs> we'll just wrap it up with... Uh... <laughs> Real quick... You are in the Sleepy Summer series because it's so warm in here. The AC doesn't work. Who do we complain about that to? Oh, uh, shit. What happened to the air conditioning, Katie? What is you, it getting fixed? Okay, it's getting fixed. Oh, you haven't, reco- you haven't been recording here? You don't we record were, here? We recorded here the night. Oh, remember we made your podcast oh, right, with Pardo yeah, yeah. 40 minutes late? So, so you were warm. Uh, yeah, that Pardo one, like we've been ending a lot lately because uh, we're just like, and we're hot. <laughs> so I, I know it's I'm really- all, yeah, I'm all very, very hot. Very hot. <laughs> For the longest time, I wanted to do uh, a yeah. mega mega podcast with part like Pardo and Corolla and Kevin Smith and Marin yeah. and me and yeah, you know that would be like, awesome. Jimmy, we should do one big mega runner. Goes, oh, that was, that was the worst idea I've ever. Why would I ever want to do that? Just a bunch of people trying to get a word in. No, that is fucking. That is terrible. <laughs> He's so showbiz, and I love him. <laughs> what I wanted to tell you, the feeling of getting things and, and the feeling of you've kind of birthed this, uh, not empire, that sounds evil, but, you know, you've birthed this uh, infrastructure. Throbbing this, mass. A throbbing mass of Tiffany Amber <laughs> pre-cum. Yep. Um, <laughs> I don't of, know. If, instead of thesis. I don't know, if, that, I don't know <laughs> if that's, well, you just put pre-cum instead of thesis. I mean, you didn't even try to. <laughs> Tiffany Amber pre-cum. Yeah, no, I don't know. Hi, I'm Tiffany Amber pre-cum. I keep saying <laughs> that. I'm sorry. <laughs> You got your own name wrong, and it doesn't even sound that much like it. You 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 did this. Uh, you have uh, a girlfriend, and uh, but like I I have a feeling you have strong feelings about religion. Uh, no, uh, I, right? Haven't you alluded? No God, no God. I I don't. I mean, listen. It's I went. I was raised Catholic. Yep, Jesuit school, right? Jesuit school. Yeah. Did you go to Jesuit school? No, I didn't. Anyway. I just feel like a guy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, religion just doesn't really work for me. Because, I mean, I, here's the thing. And I'm not shitting on anyone who... Oh, you've gotten in trouble before, right? What? Like you said, maybe you talked about uh, religion on your podcast and sometimes you get a little flack or something. Well, I mean, if we're flip about it, you yeah. know, and yeah, yeah, we're yeah. like... And, I, and, you know, if, if people get the sense that we're saying that religious people are dumb or... Sure, let, sure, you know, sure, sure. Which I really don't feel that... I mean, like, I, I have friends who are very religious, but in a way that... It's not like if you do like not telling other people like right. if you do this you're yeah. fucking burning you know yeah, yeah, yeah. they just believe what they believe and they they're comfortable enough in their own faith to feel like hey if I'm right great 
You know, I feel yeah. like I don't need to make that guy believe what I believe to feel to justify sure. my own existence. Sure, sure, sure. And so, and also, you know, growing up in the South in the Bible Belt, yeah. I just felt like there was there was a lot of hypocrisy with the the people who claimed not everyone, but with some of the people who were like who would throw Christ in your face and then yeah. but then talk shit about people behind their back or then right. like or you have know, an affair or something. I, I don't or you know, like it just it was just like. I don't know. It, like there was a, there was just kind of a an underbelly of hypocrisy that I saw with you know some of the people that I grew up around uh, in in the South. Again, not everyone, uh, but just the, what my experience. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I, I I grew up to kind of after after I was ra- I was an altar boy. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. Studied took Latin for four years. Hmm. Um, president of the Latin club. God, you are a nerd. Uh, well, <laughs> that, that, that the chess I was fine with Doctor Who Latin club. Latin club. Yikes. Uh, ubi es sabubi. Where is your underwear? Um, <laughs> ubi es sabubi. U- ubi es sub ubi. It's it's you're using homophones because it's not really it, ubi means where. Uh huh. So you're saying ubi es sub ubi. Where is your under sub meaning ub like preposition <laughs> under. And then you're saying where again, but like where in the. <laughs> Like oh I see. Donde esta where donde where, where, where right you're saying where is your ube, yeah <laughs> there's one guy listening in his basement or, dam, or damihi caput which means give me head in Latin <laughs> I mean we think it, we, we don't know it as a spoken language but they might have written it that way um, but it definitely would be in an imperative give me da mihi to me um, head head being head caput uh, meaning like a head. Interesting. Um, like, da is give. And da, da, and, to give. Dare is the infinitive. Dare is to give. Oh, like Spanish. I guess so, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so you're saying da is an order. Da mihi caput. Give head to me. <laughs> anyway, there's fun things you do in Latin club. <laughs> <laughs> so, I changed my mind. That, that sounds so, like a so, good time. So, so the Jesuits are very interesting because they um, and uh, they taught a symbolic interpretation of the Bible. Um, they were not the... Take all this literally. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't at least, know that. At least, the, at least my the, my theology classes. Yeah. they taught it as symbolic. They would say, "Look, this was a collection of stories that was handed down orally for you know gener- for yeah. centuries. Yeah. Then it was compiled by the church because there were you know there were a lot of kind of savages running around, and they figured out a way to sort of call all these masses together was to put all this stuff in this book uh, and yeah. say like, "Hey, this thing that you can't read because you're illiterate slobs says that." Like, how do you control people other than to threaten them with the only thing that they have no control over, which is their eternal soul? Yeah. And so that's how you can scare them. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's basically a period of time when science and politics and religion were the same thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think part of me gets a little crusty when people take it all so literally because it's like, you know, you, you, know, you can't – the, the Bible has a lot of really nice messages in it. Uh some theory, some some people. Are like, I guess there's a Thomas Jefferson version of the Bible where he kind of takes all the hocus all pocus the miracles out. He takes all the hocus pocus out of it and just kind of puts all the that's the, what, the, the good message. That's parts what the of deists it. did. And so um, we were fa- our founding fathers were deists, which like most Christians would take offense at that. Right, and they also said you should question your government. And they also said all these yeah yeah, yeah all, all these things uh, that have been forgotten. Yeah, and Ben Franklin got it wet. All the time, <laughs> love big, vaginas. Big philanderer, got he it, was. Him and Emma, MLK. These are those like unexpected like adulterers. He tied his cock to a kite and then <laughs> fucked the chick, <laughs> and that's how he invented the vibrator. That story was he, he fucked t- a he, girl he named tied Kylie. A, he, he tied a key to a tank to uh, uh, Stein. Yes, <laughs> and then rubbed it on a girl, and then he invented and then drank out of it while yeah. it was. They, when it, the lightning hit it, <laughs> the real story is he just a like fuck, fucked a girl in a lightning storm, <laughs> and it was electric, like and, in the song Raspberry Beret. 
I don't know. Prince was Ben Franklin. <laughs> Does that song go Raspberry Beret? Close. <laughs> okay, so Ben Franklin. Um, okay, so anyway, deists. So yeah, just the, but this is idea, you know, and, and I guess hocus the problem, pocus. The problem that I always had with you know growing up in the South and having people like go, well, it says in the Bible that blah 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 blah, right. and you go, listen, that's fine. If you want to, if you want to use the Bible, if you want to use those Bible quotes as the sort of underlying principle for you telling people how they should live their life, then you need to do literally everything the Bible says. Right. There's a lot of crazy shit in there that contradicts right. itself. Right, right, right. And so I think that's just where I get crusty. Is like, don't use it as a weapon if you're not. You know, don't just pick and choose the things that you think apply to the things that you want. Right. So I kind of developed this idea after Catholic school that. That spirituality is an innate thing that everyone needs to have. I mean, I, I think, in order to get up in the morning and not go, ah, we're all gonna fucking die, blam. You know, yeah, yeah. Spirituality, this this sort of idea that we want to be connected to a greater thing than we are. That is sort of an innate thing that I think most people carry around. Yeah, religion is that plus politics, uh-huh. which is where, you know, a group of human beings got together. And managed to derive power from... The yearning. The yearning and the sort of spirituality. Now, that being said, that's not what religion is to everyone. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good things that religion does, and I don't feel like religious people are evil. I don't feel like religious people are stupid. I just feel like I'm one of these people, and I think it's because of, you know, like the way that I kind of got better with alcoholism. Like, whatever works for you. Yeah. If that works for you, if you know, is that is that is the, is your belief that a bearded guy sits in a cloud any weirder than having to kiss a sandwich so your sister doesn't die in a plane crash? Right. It's all part of this sort of like thing that we have to be connected to in in some way. So, you know, do I believe in that traditional idea of God that was taught to me by the Catholic Church? No. Do I think that a that a wizard created the universe and a not really. But I do think, like, Reggie Watts has a brilliant idea that there is, there is spirituality in science and there, is, there are beautiful things mm-hmm. that we don't have to create mythologies around that, that, that reality and science are actually everything that we need. Right. And we just haven't figured out a lot of the answers yet. Right. So I, I think I fall somewhere in there. I feel like I'm a somewhat, you know, like I'm a somewhat spiritual person, but I'm just not a traditional theist in well, that in, in, in that great. sense so i don't know what that makes me i'm just a sort of a weird hodgepodge well, that makes you one of my favorites I love, I love that answer that's a fan I, you know it's interesting uh and i'd love to put this to you as a tech guy uh one of my favorite uh kind of reggie wattsy kind of feelings is or, or theories that i've heard is that religion could inevitably fulfill the prophecies of of religion that uh, there should be emerging and incorporating incorporating of science into religion. Like, religion shouldn't, like, turn a blind eye to science, and science should just get mashed in there, and, like, a new thing should be made. Well, I don't think it... It definitely doesn't for our religion. I mean, I think it's really just the fundamental... Like, there are fundamental sects that that say, you know, like, that kind of push some types of science away because it doesn't gel with their... Right. 7500 year old version of the of the right, world right, right. but but that's not that's not the majority of people right and we've had you know we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are religious people and they you know when we've kind of been dismissive of like 
hey, that's uh, a 7,500-year-old 7, uh, clay rib that is, uh, right. you know. Yeah, sure. They're like, you know, we don't all believe that. And I'm like, I know, I know. I, and, you know, it's funny because my uh, original offensive program, I always got mad at the old man in the sky sort of thing. That, yeah. that would really make me mad when, when people would say that uh, because I never, ever believed that or thought when I was a, a big believer, nor knew anybody. Uh, of a, The lifeguard god, though, did exist, the guy that was monitoring your thoughts and watching right. everything. And I also used to take a lot of offense at people being like, you think God really gives a shit if you jerk off? He, he's a kid dying in Rwanda. I'm like, yeah, but he's God. Why the fuck can't he do both of those things? <laughs> like, that's such an offensive logic to me. But uh, I don't know how I got on that tangent. I love that answer. I think that's I guess I guess, that's sort of, I guess that's sort of how I how I view it. I don't really know. But again, I don't really know what that means. But, but it's you don't just... have any fear of uh, death? I'm not afraid. You know, I... I I read a really great article. What if years the podcast ago. just ends? Like I'm like, are you afraid of death? And you're like, not really. I read a really great article. Podcast ends. <laughs> I, I realize what it is that I'm afraid of, and what I think most people are afraid of. Is there this was in a, the articles? Please, it was an article in Psychology Today. Like I read it like ten years ago. Is that um, people and I and I subscribe to this? It's not that I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of dread, hmm. because most people would be more afraid... The same people that are like, well, I'm not going up in a plane will have a triple cheeseburger. Right. Heart disease kills way more people than plane crashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea of dying in a plane crash is so dreadful and horrible that people are afraid of the dread that's associated with it, not the heart attack where you drop dead and you just don't, you aren't aware. Right, sure. And so, and you know... I'm, that's why they had that smoking campaign. Do you remember this? They're, all, they're always trying with smoking. Smoking is an interesting one for me. And there are those boards, billboards that said like, Dying from smoking is rarely quick and oh, never, and never painless. painless. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I it's mean, addressing if, exactly what if, you're if saying. You can, I just touch your hand. I'm sorry. I know it was um, okay. If, if you can, <laughs> if you can, you know, dread, dread is, I think, what I'm afraid of. I'm actually weirdly not. And even though I, I don't believe in heaven or hell or like that kind of, you know, traditional theist idea of the, you know, the mm. duality of the, I, I do. Like when I think about someday I just will cease to exist and I won't be aware of that. That just doesn't bother me mm-hmm. because I w- I didn't have that for millennia before. Yeah, and I wasn't aware of it. So yeah. I assume it will be very much the same thing. Now, I am. Oh my god! I am. Af- kind of I'm afraid. Of, my brain. I'm afraid of cancer. Yeah. Dying. Yeah. You know, like or some of- sort of a horrible disease or some sort of yeah. uh, like. You know, any kind of horrible that scares the shit out of me because those are horrible things to experience, not just like, oh, I'm dead, you know. Isn't it weird? I think it almost, I'm a little bit challenged by that. I fear it's a religious, I feel like it's fueled by my religious upbringing that I fear more hell or judgment sort of thing in my weaker moments than I do cancer. And that's informed because I feel like God's on my side because that's interesting. I grew up with buddy God who won't give me cancer. Well, I, now I want to knock wood because that's what we do, but I don't want cancer either. (laughs) Just in case any deity is listening that doesn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I feel it. But no, what's funny about what you just said a lot. I got to call you out on this. (laughs) Yeah, please. I know you're only half kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's a weird, well, that's the thing. And the same thing is I, it's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it would be something that I might say. Can I have a water? Which part? Yeah, of course. Just the like, Oh, just saying to the universe, just yeah, in case, you of know, course. just hedging my, putting it out there. My my lizard brain couldn't not be like, God, people whisper when they say cancer. It's it's an uncomfortable thing. And we believe in like superstition and stuff. Like what, all, all the, it, we want control. We want control so badly. Knocking yeah. wood is just one of the remnants of like a secularized religion, basically. Yeah, because there's so much, you know, uh, the one thing, 
one thing a Catholic education and upbringing will give you is a, is an economy of guilt and fear. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. you, you become afraid of things. You feel guilty about things because it's hammered in where they go, you were born with sin. Yeah. And then God gives you the choice yep. to not. I want to hear one of the weird thoughts that I had that really like kind of changed my faith. Is I was like, why not just start life in heaven? Why are we here? Why give us a test if part of the test can be burned forever? That's kind of like a fucked up thing to do. <laughs> just start us in heaven. Well, and then that's where it always defaults to like, well, you don't question God's plan. You're like, that's an easy excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, this is a weird God one. The idea that like people, you know, in my church would be like, you know, heaven is like praising God all the time. And then like if you really start to think about it, like God having preferences is something. Well, that that's really what's so weird is it feels weird. It's this idea, and I think a lot of I think you see, you know, in the Bible, you see in the Old Testament, you know, you see a fire and brimstone God, and then in the new in the newer versions in the newer testament, you see like. A loving, caring God. Right. And I think, you know, I think culturally what's happening there is you're seeing, you know, you're you're seeing tribes in the old world vying for dominance. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, what is, what is that tribe's God? Okay, well, our God's going to be this. Our yeah. God's going to be a vengeful God. Anyone? Yeah. They're almost like workshopping gods. Yeah. To build their there's tribes. There's a focus group on God. And so that's, you know, so there's a lot of different versions about, you know, like, well, that was their version. But the newer ones, oh, no, he's loving. And I guess the problem that I always had is when they go, uh, you know, is when you hear people say, like, God, God hates homosexuals or whatever yeah, people yeah. say. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I threw a southern accent on it. That's just my go-to because I grew up in the sure, South. Sure, sure, sure. I don't mean all people in the South believe that. <laughs> and, it's just, and I go, well, but hate is an emotion that's based on fear. Yeah. And fear is not an emotion that an omnipotent being would have. Interesting. So how does God like? It's just that sort of how like does he hate how does God hate or really love anything? Yeah. Because those are human emotions. Yeah, oh that we have. So yeah. how does that? Like I always had that problem when I was in school in theology class. Like how? But how does that is great? How, but if we, but these are just human things. Yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah. I've never heard. I've had a lot of religious discussions before, and I've never heard that before. That's incredible. I remember thinking like God likes us singing to Him, and I was like. That means like when we're <laughs> when we're not singing to him, he's like, "You used to sing to me so much more." Make with the singing, yeah, yeah. Or some. I remember a guy who I bet I bet you a hundred dollar, a hundred thousand dollars that he was a closet uh, homosexual, and he gave this uh, speech, a very Jonathan Edwards speech in my public speaking class about how every sin is a slap in the face of God, right? Which mm-hmm. I believe is a Jonathan Edwards teaching, and I was like. We're just slapping God all the time because I just thought of tits. And he's taking it Whack. black. Yeah. Oh, with your tits to be God. Here's- God, the guy that made the grand ca- well, a cliche example. <laughs> cliche God example. Uh, my grief is 9-11 and my, my God is uh, Grand Canyon. Right. I'm just saying we, I, I don't think we have that much control. Oh, he's not some guy. He's not a, a landlord. He's everything. You know, I know that's pantheism, but I'm just saying he's that energy. He's the molecules that came together, the fish that got out. It's the universe. It's gravity. It's the and solar then, system. And then weirdly, I found out years later that many of the priests who were my teachers were busted for... Butt-fucking? Well, or I don't know to what extent, yeah. but just stuff. Like, one of them ended up committing suicide. Mm. Another one got the shit beaten out of him. But when, that, when one of the kids grew up and went back and tracked him down and kicked the shit out of him, other ones were sent away like... It was really kind of freaky when I look back, and I and and I'm not you know I'm not saying anything against the church in general or, or the Jesuits, church, yeah. but but this was two different schools that I went to, two different Jesuit schools. Ugh. There were uh, at least that I can at least from what I was told, four or five. Yeah, 
different people wow. who got busted for like stuff mm. happening. Uh, they should just let priests marry or just let him. Oh, yeah. I mean, this idea that like, you know, I mean, there are also certain there are also theories about. I think this might have even been in like the Da Vinci Code or something. But like, well, the reason priests marry is so that, don't marry is so that their land wouldn't go to their wives, and then the church could get their land in the old days. Really? I, I don't know if I I don't know if that was from something else I wrote or if it was something ridiculous like the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, sure, sure. But uh, but yeah, but just the idea that you know that you have to be married to the church is just so it's like that's so counter humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think that's why you see a lot of this fucked up stuff happening because it's like what's well, a hunger? Th- their intentions are good yeah. or maybe they maybe they turn to the priesthood of the church to quote unquote fix them yeah. if they feel like they're broken in a certain way right. or if they feel like oh I shouldn't be gay or I shouldn't have these thoughts about this other thing and so yeah. I'm going to try to get the church to fix me and realize like well you really just kind of have to deal with who you are and don't yeah. try to make that don't you know that endless repeating cycle of the self-hate turning into a hateful act and then that turning into getting your ass kicked or killed or killing yourself yeah it's, yeah it's just... so it's it was really it was it was it was kind of a shocking revelation to find out like oh him too oh my god and wow. nothing like that ever happened to me but it it's yeah. uh um I used to have a joke about that in my act. I was like, am I not attractive enough? You know, uh, yeah, like, I almost made that joke. I mean, that's the joke. <laughs> I was like, what's, that's the obvious what's wrong joke. with you? What was I not doing? Yeah. What, what kind of clothes? That's the, the narcissist who like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> who is it that has a bit about it's the most, it's Natasha Leggero. I shouldn't even say it. It's the least attractive of your friends that's the most worried about getting Oh, married. yeah, 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 yeah. That's Natasha's. <laughs> Natasha. Has she been on the show? She did do the show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did a while ago. That's cool. Let's look at the paper. God, I fucking what a gift all those answers were. Everything you shared, man, was really, really great. This is a fun, fun show. You're a fun show. (laughs) (laughs) I I I love I love podcasting with podcasters. I I knew it would be a lot of fun. Hunger, people having sex. I just wrote people. Oh, you and I both uh, have masturbated to the sound of people having sex. That's like a traditional weird. Oh, because I have a bit about being in the hotel and hearing on the other side of the room. That's normally what we do on this show. Is if I know something about that, I'll bring that up. I'll be like. To me, this is a this is a ten thousand dollar statement. I find it very erotic to hear people getting fucked. I I just like I was so ashamed of that. And it you, took ten thousand. That's a, <laughs> a guess of therapy for my therapist. I'll, I'll never forget when I told him that he was like, "It's very erotic." <laughs> that's what he said, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it is." Like it's real. Like you're hearing something happening in the real time. Like I don't go out of my way. I'm not in the bushes. I'm talking about like a thin walled apartment. You know, people are loud in a hotel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're, I will we're say in a this. lot of hotels. You never want to see those people because they never meet up to the idea no, of no. what you have in your head. That's the other reason why it's hot. It's like it's anybody. I was it's just sex is happening. I was I was performing at the Fort Lauderdale Improv. Have you been to that one? Mm. There's like it's, did the Miami. It's, it's a it's a it's a reservation. So there's a casino, a Hard Rock casino, and then and then an improv. Okay, there and um, this was I, I ended up not I ended up not doing the I ended up not doing the deed because it just I don't know I, for whatever reason. But I was oh. I was fascinated. I was listening. It was a guy. It was a threesome. It was a guy and two girls, and I could hear the woman like call like calling the game. Of like, oh yeah, eat her pussy. Like, really? I was like, wow, this is really, this is really hot. And then <laughs> they finished, they finished up, and a couple of them left, and I peered out the hole to see what they looked like, and I was like, ah, like, I felt, <laughs> like, I felt, I felt like I, it's like the same feeling like when you grab a pan on the stove, and you're like, ah, like I almost dropped my dick, like, like ah, like it was a hot. 
<laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> they were just like... <laughs> <laughs> not what you wanted. I mean... Not at all. No, not... Not at all. That is so great. I love that you had that bit because I heard you do that bit before I was like okay admitting that. Or oh, whatever. nice. And then I was like, it almost probably enabled me to be like, maybe it's not the weird. People feel like they're weird, and I don't think they're that weird. It's not no. that weird to hear the cries of ecstasy and be like, that's sexual. That's a pretty it's normal, literally, that's sexual. a pretty normal thing. I mean, like, and and it activates. Yeah. I mean, your brain is designed. I mean, we are sexual beings. Your yeah, brain yeah, yeah, is designed yeah, yeah. to react in those yeah. situations. And there's a part of my brain that goes, "Am I having sex right now? <laughs> like, is this me?" <laughs> a stupid part of your brain. So we got okay. People having sex. Life hacker. I just wrote down feeling of getting things. Oh, that was that feeling of conquering all the world. No drinking when I was doing my pilot. Your pilot. I was going to ask about that. Would have been interesting. Do you want to talk about that? What the Comedy Central pilot? Yeah. Sure. Hey, congrats. Thanks. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just basically a, you know, a sort of I guess I described it as if like the Daily Show and the Colbert Report had a threesome with Attack of the Show. Ha! It's just sort of like my, it's sort of like it's just sort of a ner- you know, like a like a like a nerd culture weekly That's great. commentary sort of a show. And I love doing Attack of the Show and Yeah. And um but I obviously I didn't host Attack of the Show. Right. I just guest hosted sometimes and, right. and now it's G4 is changing and everything, but um, you know, G four was uh, the attack was always information first and then comedy second, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a delightfully funny show. Mm-hmm. But but at the core of it, it was all really about getting this information across mm-hmm. in a fun fun funny way. So you're like, let's flip it. A and I bit. wanted to flip it and say, what if it's a comedy show first and then the information yeah. is yeah. just all these things? And so so that was sort of that That's was great, sort of, that was sort of my pitch for it. Are you? Are you? Did you make it? You're waiting to hear. No, I haven't shot it yet. Oh, okay, cool. Good luck, man. Thanks. Great luck. Let's end on this because I I love talking about this with you, and this will be the last little uh, nugget here. I recently realized that I always type on my iPhone A B D instead of and, mm-hmm. and uh, my phone at some point learned that A B D was a word, <laughs> and it would capitalize A capital A B D, and I was like, fuck. I was in bed last night. I never tweet things that are like genuine. I actually tweeted this because I was so pleased that I figured it out. I was like, oh, I'll make ABD a shortcut for the word and. So now every time I accidentally type ABD, it turns it into and. And I was like, I bet Hardwick knows little nuggets like that. Then somebody, uh, my friend Mac, told me how to, his name's Mac, which is great, told me how to turn on the emoji keyboard. Oh, yeah, the emoji. Emoji's really fun. I didn't know you. I, I, you'd always, Katie would text me emojis. I'm like, how are people doing this? You, I figured you used it was- to have to hack the iPhone to do it. There was a... There was a um, there was an app that you would have to de- there's a website that you would have to go through go to and enter a code yeah and it would it would backdoor the emoji into your keyboard uh-huh. but is, is that a cracked iPhone did you crack no the no no I didn't crack the iPhone I don't I, I never I'm never a crack guy I don't like the uh, I don't like cracking the uh, the jailbreaking the iPhone because I mean I know it kind of makes the iPhone a little more open source than people that yeah. people prefer but then it's just quality control you just don't know what you're getting you right, don't know what right, you're putting right. in the phone I mean it's basically like it's basically like just going into a bar with your dick out and sticking it in everyone. You're like, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. Do you remember ResEdit? Did you ever use ResEdit? Yeah, of Res course. Edit? Yeah, yeah. I used to get scared that I'd really fuck up my computer with ResEdit because <laughs> I'd change like the icon for my Mac into like a different face or I'd put sunglasses on them or something and I'm like, and the computer's going to burst into flames now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was just wondering because we had a fun talk about the MacBook Air. I, I remember because I was thinking about getting it and you were like, well, backlit keyboard and you know, you get the 11 inch and I, and I did. Great, yeah. I, did, I don't know. If you had any tech tip, 
up for my iPhone, I would listen to it. Well, the, the, by the time this comes out, the announcement, but the, the iPhone announcement's Wednesday, the new it iPhone. Is? Yeah. Fuck everything. So we're recording this. Yeah. The, Let's the, go get in line. Today's the 10th, and the 12th is when it's, they're, they're announcing the. This is. Uh, Didn't they find one in a bar? Aren't they always just finding one? Well, in there's, a bar? There, there are rumors that it's like a four inch screen and then it's bigger. Um, four inch, which way? Four inch this way? Diagonally. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, so big. So bigger. And. You know, I don't know. Some some rumors. I think Apple seeds a lot of the rumors, mm-hmm. so you never know what's gonna you know be. what's, what's going to be. There's also you know iPad Minis apparently. Oh yeah, a slightly smaller iPad. Yeah. So a seven a seven inch iPad. Oh so, look at us. This is our this is the last time we can have this conversation because it's going to be. We're going to know tomorrow. Two, or this two, well, they'll announce it in two days. Cool. And then it'll probably be out. I mean, I'm guessing just. Based on their previous product cycles, it'll be out at the end of the month or the beginning of next month. That's awesome. Do you have some sort of hookup? Who, do you have your assistant wait in line for you? No, I just pre-order. You pre-order the iPhone, and they just hand deliver it to you. They just deliver it to your house. I don't know why people stand in line. You don't have to do that. You can order it on the website. You can, I, ordered the, I ordered this phone from the Apple Store app. Yeah, really? And then they just delivered it to me the day before people could buy it in the stores. It's insane to me that people wait in line. I think I remember with the 4S, which is the current one, right? Yes. I, I tried to do it online, but there were all these problems. Like, it wouldn't let you do it online. Oh, really? I guess. I don't know. Seems pretty convenient. Well, I guess what, you know, when everyone's rushing at once and it can crash the, yeah, crash the sites. maybe. Just with traffic. I mean, there's yeah. only because of bandwidth, but... An- anonymous or something. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what if we just... <laughs> we just... <laughs> we just end with this guy again. That's really great. <laughs> Will you say keep it crispy as this guy? Yeah. I just want to tell everyone to keep keep it crispy. <laughs> just, you know, just, just keep it crispy. Enjoy your crispy burrito. Ah, I was just gonna go enjoy your burrito. <laughs> <laughs> crispy, and I'm so glad we finally got this down. Thanks, Pete Holmes. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, and then I'll see you in a, uh, tomorrow night. Oh, yeah, we're doing that tomorrow, Comedy yeah. Mutant. Yeah. We're going to be hanging out all the time, it's man. What's going to be happening? Game changer. Hey, thanks for changing my game, man. Game change. <laughs> Hashtag game change. I really do appreciate the podcast. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.